Today is Monday, January 15, 2024, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Nate. All right, Stephen, hell Stephen, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Um, sorry, Catholics. Um, we're going to stop We're gonna stop picking on you in a little bit, I hope. Um, so the Pope says something else that got him in hot water and the Vatican's in a frenzy. Um, I can be fair. The Pope is not saying hell doesn't exist. He's just saying he, he hopes it, it doesn't exist. Um, where I think that's still problematic. I think the correct way would be, well, I really wish it wouldn't exist. But, um, you know, the fact of the matter is it, it does exist. And hope implies finding out that you were wrong and hell about hell existing and it doesn't exist. So you're hoping to be wrong. Well, I, I don't hope that I'm wrong because I, I really believe hell exists and it's true. Um, I just wish I, I were wrong and, you know, everyone got to go to heaven. That'd be great. But, uh, you know, God is the ultimate and fair judge. Um, he is the only one who is able to uh, properly dole out justice. Um, so, uh, anyway, then we talk about, uh, quickly some political stuff and eh, no one bites. So we leave on, uh, oh, and happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day, by the way. Um, and let's see, then we talk about repentance. Yes. We talk about repentance for quite a while. Um, and what does that mean? Like we get into like this, the Israel, um, you know, who's true Israel, maybe from a different angle than you're used to hearing. Um, repentance, what does that mean? A life of repentance versus repenting versus just what the word means, turn and go the other direction. Um, and then we get into, oh, good Lord, a very heated conversation. Chris, in uh, <laughs> Christ-like form, bursts in and, you know, pronounces heretic and judgment over people. I'm kidding, it's not Christ-like. Oh, I mean, maybe. I mean, call an apple an apple. But, uh, you know, you could do it nicer. I don't know. Am I judging now? Sorry, Chris. Sorry, bro. Okay, so... We talk about someone who is accused of having he uh, of the Hebrew Roots movement, movement. I cannot speak. I am tongue-tied all day today. The Hebrew Roots Movement. They vehemently deny it. Seems good enough. Uh, they say they are a Torah-observant Christian, not for salvation, but because they just think it's a good idea. Okay, I guess. Fine. Whatever. Maybe need to talk more about that. Then they're accused of being a Unitarian. They vehemently deny that. And trying to understand what they're talking about... Um, they keep using very big terminology. I keep asking them to explain it to, like, us, like young people in simple words. Um, they are unwilling or unable to do so. <laughs> do so. I cannot talk. I'm going to sign up for, like, Hooked on Phonics or... Wait, that's for reading, right? Speaking class. Goodness, what is going on today? I, I took melatonin last night to sleep. Is it still messing with me? Um, anyway. Then Steph, who's usually calm, <laughs> uh, jumps in and arguments ensues. And... It's not even that we're disagreeing with her position, because we have no idea what her position is. I mean, we have an idea, but I mean, it's like, look, if someone says, hey, do I think non-Christians go to hell? Um, well, actually, have you heard of the doctrine of, um, you know, there's four doctrines I like to consider. There's annihilationism, there's a literal view, there's a metaphorical view. It's like, bro, do non-Christians go to hell? It's like, well, what is hell? Is hell really just, um, is it a state of mind, or, like, is this conversation hell? Um, like... Oh my gosh, just do Christians go, uh, go, uh, do non-Christians go to hell? Yes. If you're not saved in Jesus Christ, your eternity is hell. That's the answer. So it's like, just plain speak. Like, stop, stop. It, whenever people are so evasive and they won't just answer a question blatantly, honestly, it makes me think there's an agenda. 
usually people are good enough at communicating, especially on these type of platforms. They know what they think and they can articulate it pretty well and dumb it down for the rest of us. Um, if they're unwilling to do that, if they're unable to do that, they shouldn't be on this platform. If they're unwilling to do that, it seems like you have an agenda or you really know that your your true belief is going to like land you in criticism and hot water, which I don't care. That's not me. That's lots of people, but it's not me. I'm like, look, I, I don't care what you believe. Just Just tell me straight. And I'm like, fine. Okay, I think you're wrong. Here's why. Or, hey, I actually think you're right about that. Good job. Glad we got that out of the way. But it's like, oh, goodness, even like Christian, like so many times, if people are like, I'm like, hey, oh, so are you Christian? They're like, oh, I, be I believe Jesus. I'm like, um, I'm like, well, I ask if you're a Christian. They're like, I, I believe Jesus. I'm like, what does that mean? And then after talking like 45 minutes, turns out they believe Jesus is a historical person and was like a created being and basically like a trumped up prophet or something. I'm like, so why wouldn't you just say you're not a Christian? Well, because either they have an agenda and they're going to try to, like, get around the back door and, like, lead Christians astray in whatever weird stuff they believe, um, or they just they expect Christians to, like, pronounce hellfire upon them, which I'm not going to do. Others will. Um, and, and they're, like, ashamed of their position. If you have a position, don't be ashamed of it. Um, so someone asked, like, one time someone's like, oh, I don't call myself a Christian because people get too upset by that. I just say I'm a Jesus believer. I'm like, hey, if they were first called Christians at Antioch, that's good enough for me. I'm a Christian. If you think that means all kinds of messed up stuff it does not mean, then I'll explain it. I bet Christianity doesn't mean you automatically have to hate people. Um, you should not hate. You should love everyone. Uh, doesn't mean you got to love the things they're doing or the sin. But no, Christianity doesn't mean you have to hate certain people groups. Christianity doesn't mean you have to, you know, uh, try to take lots of money from poor people to build big churches. Uh, Christianity simply means a follower of Christ. His death, his burial, resurrection, believing that, asking for forgiveness of your sin. Um, the shedding of blood covers the sin. That's it. Ask for eternal life, you'll receive it. Ask to be born again, you will be. God himself will live with you. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into truth and understanding. So that's what a Christian means. Um, anyway, I'm talking a lot. I, I, I got fired up a little more than usual in, in the last part because, again, it wasn't with the content. She's like, everyone's attacking me. Everyone's attacking me. I'm like, no one's trying to attack you. We just want you to say things simply. Just say it. Um, anyways, okay. Am I done? I'm done. It's, it's lunchtime. What a cold, rainy day here. Um... Yeah, that's it. Um, if you want, if you want to buy the Ask a Christian book to support this, uh, learning how to have civil conversations with people who are not always so civil, um, I, I guess I need to add a chapter for how to coax people into saying things when they're being really evasive and shady and won't just say it. Um, I mean, she's just like, "Hey, I disagree with you. I hate you. You're wrong. Your face is stupid." I'm like, "Okay, I hear what you're saying. There's a chapter on that." When people make ad hominem attacks about you, um, how do we respond in peace and love of Christ? Okay, well, there's a book for that. Um, apparently, there's not a book for this. How to pull answers straight and easily out of very evasive people. So, maybe I'll need to <laughs> work on that one. Ah, forgive me, Lord. Okay. And you can check out the Ask a Christian Store. Grab a t-shirt, coffee cup. Would be really great for winter. Just saying, if you'd like to support uh, sharing the gospel with people on the internet, um... Not saying we are perfect, but um, better than most as far as not freaking out on people all the time. Hey, I, this podcast, this episode, it was really good for a really long time. Until someone, like, communication broke down and someone just couldn't play ball. Okay.
Yeah. I'm out, dog. You ready to eat some food and go for a walk? You want to chase the kitty cats? Yeah? You want to chase the kitty cats? That sounds like fun. Let's go do that. Don't really be nice to your cats. Bye. Hey, hey good morning. Hey, good morning. I'm actually um going to be working. Um, I just got back from a uh, night shift as an ops with Amazon. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess I'll be working uh, once I get a few hours of sleep and go right on back. <laughs> well, yeah, so happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day, who was named after his dad, Martin Luther, who was named after the great reformer, Martin Luther. <laughs> it's almost only... prophetic, isn't it? Oh, yeah, especially since the day yesterday, <laughs> Pope stuck his foot in his mouth again. Um, let me read this oh, quote. Oh, Pope. What I say is not a dogma of faith, but something personal. I like to think of hell as empty. I hope it's reality. So, I mean, being charitable, because I'm not trying to play gotcha with the Pope. He said way worse stuff than that. Um, so I get it, sure. I think all Christians can be like, oh, well, sure, we would like to think. You know, we would we would hope, I guess. I mean, that, that's a hard one. I mean, we, we can't hope because we know, um, you know, the Bible tells us. But I, it would be nice if hell was empty of people and everyone just went to heaven. Like, that would be nice if Jesus met them. He's like, hey, you got to repent. I'm Jesus. You, you know that in your heart. Come on into heaven. That's a nice thought. Um, and I, I get that the Pope is not saying there's no hell, but a lot of people did, and the Vatican's, like, scrambling around to, uh, to try to be like, no, 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 that's not what he said. He didn't say there's no hell. <laughs> um, I would, but on the I other would hand, hate to be a Catholic apologist. Like, oh, I mean, you just never know what this guy's going to say. I, th I think they love it, though. Like, I'll, I'll tell you some of the craziest stuff I heard in a minute. But, I mean, I mean, this is pretty tame as far as it goes. But it's just funny that it happens, like, right before Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, day. And it's like, gee, why was there ever a need for a reformation? Well, <laughs> here's, here's time to dip your toe in the water. Um, but, I mean, you know, this is like the chief theologian, I, I guess. If you're a mouthpiece for God, then I guess you're, you're supposed to be the top theologian, too. Maybe. Um, but it's like, well... Just theologically, that's that's not correct, and and he probably shouldn't want that. So you know, when he says "I hope hell's empty," I'm sure he means of human souls. Um, hopefully, he doesn't mean like the devil and demons, because the Bible says hell was specifically created for them. So it's like, well, if the devil, if Satan and his demons weren't in hell, then where else are they going to go? His house, not my house. Um, so I mean, I, I hope hell is full of the devil and his demons, because um, uh, you know. Not in my backyard, but um, anyway, so being very charitable, sure, I, w we all would like to think that no humans are in hell, but the reality is, you know, they are, because we believe the Bible. Yeah, yeah, the Pope, he's, he's just, um, I mean, I, I kind of knew, like, uh, he was going to have some liberal leanings, you know, uh, when, you know, by him being a Jesuit, usually they're kind of the academic bad boys of uh, the priesthood of the Catholic Church, but He's really, he's, he's, he's really, uh, he's, I mean, he's, 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 he's gone really far out, even for like a lot of Catholicism. It's kind of like, yeah, man, you, that's, that's, that's you, you're being very creative right now. Well, the blessing of the gay people, like, dude, these, like, I, I honestly don't know what to do on my discord server because like some person, <clears throat> Steph, um, is like being a, like a Catholic crusader, like trying to invite all these Catholics over, you know, to, to teach them the truth, uh, show them the way, the truth and the light of Jesus. But, um, what's really happening is it's all these like hardcore Catholic apologists coming and just fighting with everyone. So 
I mean, it's it's really nice. Like, you know, one one person was talking. I, I was like a Catholic, or I think this is an Orthodox person. They're basically the same. <laughs> I just started saying that because they hate it when you say that. Anyways, sorry, Catholic and Orthodox. Yeah, they they sorry, don't, not, sorry, they don't like when you minimize that ten fifty four. So, anyways, um, this person's like. We have a rich tradition and blah, blah, blah. And you prots, all you have is like your Anglican blah, blah, blah. And what about all the people doing bad stuff in the Anglican church? I'm like, do you not know about Protestantism? Like, that's the point. Like, I'm not beholden to the Anglicans for anything. Like, you know, you build some cool buildings. Maybe you make a good point I agree with. That happens to be biblical every now and then. But you're not my leader. Like, it's it's me and, and Jesus. Jesus is my mediator. Jesus is my high priest. So, you know, I happen to go to a non-denominational church, and there is a pastor and church leadership, but ultimately, there's no, you know, tradition going back and back and back that, you know, if someone says something really stupid for our order or our denomination, I don't have to apologize for that. I'm like, yeah, that guy that I have no attachment to at all, um, he said some dumb stuff. Um, You guys (laughs) have to come out when the Pope talks about blessing gay people and apologize and say, no, no, they're not blessing homosexuality. They're taking the homosexual couple who is holding hands and about to make out, and they're pronouncing a very individual blessing that cuts around the gay stuff and goes straight to the heart of that one person. And then they back up, go around through the priest and do the exact same thing, cutting through the gay to the other homosexual person to give individual blessings it's totally not blessing homosexuals. Big, big difference. Um, big difference. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, wow, guys. I'm like, I don't, I don't even know, man. I, I don't even know. Um, Chris, I think we're turning into you. Yes, this is the way. Not, not the gay thing. The um, Catholic thing. Wait, the other <laughs> thing's a thing. No, no. The um, how? I, I mean, man, I'm not trying to like single Catholics out, but it's like they're everywhere, and their apologetics are are like next order cringe. There, Just there, like that statement. If the Pope next keeps order. on, it's going to be another, it's going to be like another reformation or split he keeps on. Well, yeah, you saw the thing I sent you, right? Like the Pope's now, I mean, he's not saying there's no hell, but a lot of people think he is and the Vatican's having to scurry around it on the heels of, you know, uh, him totally not blessing homosexual unions, but blessing the very, very individual homosexual person. Totally not the sin, just the person. So um, it's just like one gap after another. It's like, you know, even if you're not speaking in your office or your personal capacity, couldn't you get a better vicar? He's going to keep on. They're going to put something in his communion cup. Oh, like the, the dude, know. he just needs to go on a vacation for a while. But this is a feature, not a bug. <laughs> like, I mean, it's not like they're upset that Francis is moving them to the left. There's a few tradcaths that are upset, but like by and large, most of the rank and file of the Catholic church is liberal. And so, you know, the fact that they're moving to a more liberal position makes them much more comfortable. There's only, you know, a very small percentage of quote unquote conservatives within the Catholic church. So, that's, the, this is, that's how this is going to go. Yeah, I, I fully see that. Um, and uh, I mean, this is also like everything's off the heels of because it all is like happening like rapid fire. 
off of the Mary debate, like the Mary worship. I mean, I mean, veneration, totally not worship. Um, where, you know, like this one dude, he, he kept quoting, like misquoting scripture. He's like, the angel, he says, Mary, full of grace, full of grace. That means sinless. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, then the angel bowed down. He bowed down. I'm like, dude, it never says that. The angel did not bow down to Mary. He's like, oh, well, we just, we just in, infer that then. I'm like, you just said it was scripture. It's not. He's like, well, then, uh, then uh, we get that from uh, him saying full of grace and, and hail Mary, like you would hail a king or a queen. I'm like, anyway, so I was reading in Acts 6 today. It's like, man, the Bible is so full of like awesome points that if you could just like bring up the appropriate counterpoint when someone says some nonsense, you'd never need to do anything. Unfortunately, we don't have that great of memories. Um, I mean, maybe a couple people do. But Acts 6 today I was reading, it's like, uh, Stephen, full of grace. I'm like, wait, that's the same thing the angel said to Mary. I'm like, so if Stephen is full of grace, is he also sinless? Like, do we now have two sinless humans, um, you know, not counting Jesus? Like, I, I, I need to ask the next Catholic. I see that. I'm sure they'll have a reason, though. Yeah, it, it um, the Catholic Church is really getting out there. It's, um, it's, I don't know. I just, I, I would have really expected, like, there to be, like, um, more up uproar, you know. But I'm just shocked. It's just it's not more just like, yeah, he says he says stuff. It is kinda y'all know, it's just like, man, it's like now, I hate to say it, it's like now where's the church that will burn people <laughs> to the stake for just like mildly disagreeing with them? Oh, those are the ones who call uh, evil uh, evil good and good evil. Um it, that that's the ones they'll burn to the stake. Oh <laughs> if you call their good evil, you gotta go. Like saying, bro. There's a problem with the homosexuality stuff. Like, don't don't bless that. They're not blessing a bigot. They're not blessing it. They're blessing the individual that's attached to the hand and lips of the other dude they're married to. They're blessing the individual, not both of them together. Um, well, that's like the Overton window shift, right? Like, I think people are just resigned at this point because it's like, you know, 100 years ago, the stuff going on now, they'd be shocked and appalled at. But like, you know, they just have done a good job of just like moving stuff forward. So now it's like, oh, you know, gay dudes holding hands in front of a priest, and the priest is giving what looks like a blessing to both of them. Eh, fine, whatever. But then the more hardcore ones are still trying to hold on to a little bit of it. They're like, no, no, he's he's blessing the the um, individual, not the union. While all the rest of the Catholics are just like, yeah, whatever. I mean, I guess I believe this stuff. So, all right, whatever the Pope does is fine. I mean, they've just like shifted that over to window so much that 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 is the new normal. There was a show about that, right? Like the new normal. <laughs> It was called the new normal. It's like that uncle, like a like a family, he just always saying like really extreme stuff, and like people are like yeah, he just says stuff. Yeah, you, <laughs> I guess I guess like you just get so like over. You just you just like yes, yeah. He he shouldn't say that. That's what people say about me. I am the crazy uncle of Clubhouse. <laughs> Hey, morning, Hey, good morning, guys. Anything on your mind on this Martin Luther King Jr. celebratory day? Mm, lots on my mind, but not about Martin Luther. <laughs> what's on your mind? Anything you can share? Oh, uh, just a lot of 
work stress. This is the week of the anniversary of my husband's death. It's just a big week. Oh. Yeah, you know, just lots running around. Well, I hope the best for you, for your, your work stuff. and, and uh, Thank you. I hate to hear that. I only can imagine how tough that is. You know, it's it's mostly good. Like, I was very, very blessed, and that's what I have to just focus on. You know, I'd like to just be able to get through the week without being, like, an emotional basket case. <laughs> well, he must have did a lot of things right, you know. To have still have, you know, you'd have such fond memories uh, of him. Uh, I, I have talked to widows sometimes. Um, you know, you like you like they have a show called "Kids Say the Darnest Things." Like, uh-huh. <laughs> they have a show called "Widows Say the Darnest Things." Uh, this is a lady I know, uh, Sister Stark, and uh, her husband was a pastor, and uh, you know, she was—I mean, she was like the sweetest, like little granny. And uh, we asked, I, you know, they one of the girls at the church is like being, you know, just being super romantic. She was like, Sister Stark, do you miss Brother Stark? She said, no. Nah. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I got to get out of here. <laughs> My face is going to shut nah. She's like, nah. I, I stayed married because the Bible says so, but nah, I don't miss him. I was, <laughs> I was like, dog. <laughs> Hope that ain't what my wife says, but... To hear you say that he must have did, uh, he must have did much better than uh, Sister Stark's husband. Yeah, if I ever meet my premature demise, just just don't ask my wife what she thought about me. <laughs> Let's just play it safe. You know, it's so, funny. People are always hesitant to bring it up. I think because they're like, "Oh, I don't want to make her sad," and I'm just like, so much of our life was like, just I don't know, very American dreamish, like. <laughs> And so, like the majority of of my thoughts about him, they're they're all positive. Like we we built something wonderful together. I was very blessed and very fortunate, and it wasn't perfect, but even in the imperfections, it was good, you know. Um. So yeah, my daughter, she's very much the same way. She's like, I just don't know why people are so afraid. You know, like he makes me happy, but I don't know. These dates like this, you just you just never know what you're going to get. It's always a mixed bag. Sometimes you're feeling just very tender hearted and raw. And other times it's just like, meh, it's good. You know, I'm, I'm doing all right. <laughs> I think that people just have an aversion to real life and they feel like if they're going to, you know, talk about something that's going to, you know, trigger a feeling in another person, they just don't want to deal with that. They just want to deal with the even emotional, you know, yeah, experience, sure. you know. So, Nate, I just posted in the chat, um, Virgil Walker is a preacher. He has a blog about MLK this morning. Oh, you want to summarize? No. Is it very long? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's the emergency summarizing, Chris? You uh, you just can't um, remember it all, or is there some other reason? Yeah, no, it's just, you know, might be a bit, might be a bit uh, 
counterintuitive. Well, on that topic, did you hear that uh, in Georgia, the, uh, what was it, Fannie Willis or whatever? Um, oh, gosh, I, I got to remember the story. Maybe maybe you remember it. Um, okay, it was it was the, the one who, oh, gosh, I just, I just died in Fortnite trying to remember to tell the story. Okay, it was she the one who was Trump. like, yeah, she was going after Trump. But then, like, in the last what, couple of weeks, it was found out, like, two weeks ago, that she hired or paid someone, like, basically to, to help be against Trump or whatever, but it was her boyfriend that uh, she was funneling like tons and tons of cash to. Uh, so totally corrupt. Like it, it was like her boyfriend that she was giving cash to and like hired them. So it's like she hired her boyfriend and gave them tons of money, like more than he had like the lowest qualifications, like uh, of anyone that's ever got that. And then the amount of money he was receiving was like way higher than people who would receive with way higher qualifications. So it's totally just like, oh, I'm dating you, so here, let me use my power and give you lots of money. Um, it's just corrupt to the highest order. And um, just today, before I flipped on Fortnite and got killed right away, um, there's this thing where she was, it was her, she was speaking. She's like, it's all racist. It's racist people who are raising these allegations. It's like, what? It's like, you just like did like the most corrupt thing in the world, and it's racism? Anyway, so uh, there you go. That's the only thing I had to offer about that. <laughs> yeah, Virgil Walker is really good. He's part of G3. Um, and I just, uh, I got a book by Tom Pennington. And uh, on Friday, Friday, or I actually got it like Thursday night. And then Friday morning I picked it up. And I'm, I mean, the book was like really good. And it's just a very good, like, well-organized um, argument for cessationism. And it's very, very good. Which, by the way, you're a cessationist, Nate. You just don't realize it. Uh, sure. And so is Brandon. As a, as a very extreme Calvinist, uh, today is your day of salvation. Choose to follow Jesus. <laughs> That's what true Calvinism teaches everyone. That is true. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, it's just basically like the definition of cessationism is that there are no apostles walking around that are on the level of Peter and Paul. That's it. And so this book is just laying that out. It's very good. But then other people would define it differently. So based on that right. term, charismatics right, define it differently. All of us would agree with that. Right. Exactly. Charismatics but, define it differently. Not cessationists. Okay. Okay, well, I mean, my answer would be different, though, for each person, how they define it. So if someone's like, um, if you define it that way, I'm like, okay, sure, sounds good. But then if it's like, if, if someone defines cessationism as um, no supernatural acts of God take place today, I'd be like, uh, well, no, I don't agree with that. You're like, but you just said you agree cessationism, according to what Chris just said, but not according to what you just said, because Chris uh, agrees with cessationalism, but he still believes in supernatural miracles today. Um but, mm -hmm. but yeah, so so but what you just said though that doesn't take into account supernatural miracles in general. You'll just say that's an improper definition. Yeah. Okay, so you the, view the definition of cessationist as, like, as at, like at will power is that about the lowest yeah. common denominator? Yeah, like there's a there's an apostle running around who can write scripture and has the at will power to do miracles. That is, and so we're like, no, those people don't exist anymore. Uh, well, here is Yazoo. Perhaps he is one. 
Yes, sir. What's up? <laughs> Trying to see how Gentiles have answers. There you go. I mean, as a Gentile, you should know, right? I'm not a Gentile. Necessarily take one to know one. Well, then neither am I. I'm not. I, then I, I don't want to be a. Well, if we can just at will choose, then I don't. I'm not a Gentile either. Then. Do you know the law? Let's say sure. Sure. Do you do? Do you do and teach it? Sure. Yep. Show me. Um, where is your Follow temple? Jesus. How are you doing you animal sacrifices? Do you got? Do you have like a bunch of heifers that you're sacrificing today? No. No. Oh, okay. Cool. Are you teaching it? Yeah. I sure. mean, apparently you're not teaching it. Why would you figure that? Because you don't <laughs> have a farm with a bunch of heifers that you're going to sacrifice. Or he goats may. and sheep. He may. So that, that means that means you don't know what the law is. No, we do. So yeah, let let me just jump to mine. So mine is uh, I I keep the law and teach others to keep the law by putting their faith in Jesus Christ. He kept the law. He fulfilled the law. Therefore. By obedience to Christ, we keep and fulfill the law because he did it for us. Praise, praise the, the Lord. Lord. Liberty kind of thing. No, no. Praise the Lord. So the law of atonement, how do you do and teach it? What I just said, have faith in Jesus. He did it for us. Okay. I understand that. Now, do and teach. Do you know how? I, I mean, I just want to rewind 30 seconds. Like, what? I'm just going to keep saying the same thing. So okay, you... <laughs> so let, let me let me let me do it real quick. All right. So the way that atonement works is the Lamb of God came, right, and was a sacrifice. And atonement, which is kapoor, is for you to lay your hand on the Lamb and receive His righteousness, and He receives your filth. You understand? That's doing and and teaching the law. You don't know what atonement is. That's why you can't explain it. You have a Westernized version of what it is you don't really know you want to go to the next one uh no i you, think we're good there everything you, just, you need to uh, know is you just explained and... like penal substitutionary atonement but you don't know i just explained the law i just explained kapoor you can't yeah. explain kapoor because you don't know what it is explain again, romans 10 9 and 10 yeah like yeah you, romans, you have no idea romans what you're talking 10, about okay uh-huh. just so, read for us so prove, so prove that kapoor is not what i said I don't yeah, you're, you're, I'm with you. Are you asking you're me to right, fix your exactly. exact you're, word fallacy? You're a Gentile. You're least in the kingdom of heaven. So we're, we're in the kingdom we're of heaven. Right. Amen. I don't have a problem. Right. I don't have a problem with you being in the kingdom of heaven. I'm just right. saying that we're going to be your there. slaves, right? Is that the deal? No, it's not a slave thing. It's you can't oh, okay. teach me. You can't teach me anything. I'm supposed to teach you. Come on, well, it's MLK. Can't, but man. you can't. You, you, you don't even know the first thing the about truth. Christianity or Christ. I just, why would we? Just, why would we listen? I just to you? told. I'm with you. Um, Western Christianity is false. It's immature. How do you know where I am? <laughs> By the way, we're not supposed to teach you. We're supposed to share the gospel, and you, you go to God. God teaches you. So. I'm with you, and you didn't do that. When did you Repent, share the believe gospel? the gospel? Believe yeah. Jesus. Would you like me to tell you the gospel? I know eleven thousandth time. I know. I know. Why don't you? T- you're here to Chris, teach us. You Why don't tell you tell the us the gospel? No, tell I us think the we're gospel. Done with that. Can you uh, can you uh, tell him the gospel, Chris, real fast? Yeah, sure. The gospel is simply this: is that uh, all of us are born broken and separated from God. This is from Adam's sin in the garden. Um, 
Jesus uh, came down um, to live a perfect life uh, and then give himself as a sacrifice uh, on the cross for our sins. First Peter 2.24 says he bore our sins in his body. Um, and uh, then he gives us his perfect life. Um, we are now a new creature in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. So we um, have our sinful life paid for on the cross. Jesus gives us his perfect life uh, to stand in for us with God so that we can have fellowship with God and, and mend the broken relationship that happened in the garden. Through, through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus offers this free gift to everyone. And all you have to do is repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that he is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Romans nine, Romans 10, 9 through 10. Is, um, thank you, Chris. That was a, uh, it's a very soothing voice. Is that, are you sick or waking up early or is that a new, a new mellow voice you're using? That's very Maybe soothing. it's my new voice. This is my radio voice. Right? <laughs> this is very um, NPR. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so Good morning and welcome to a morning edition. Today we're going to be talking about the dip in the stock market. We're going to uh, <laughs> see how the blizzard is treating the uh, upper northeast and we have a special guest with us, Captain Kangaroo, for up back from the dead. Yes, the world is in fire. You're all going to die. Grab your children and hold them tightly because tomorrow will never come. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. So, in so other that news, is... Nate has been found to be a WEF agent. Oh boy. Oh gosh. <laughs> There's so many comments on like BitChute from one of the things we did. Um, it was talking because you know we have very, uh, very fundamentalist Christian views and very conservative, uh, you know, of like the, the us, uh, very conservative political views and stuff like that. And it was one day where I think I was just like, someone mentioned Alec Jones, probably me. And I'm just like, well, look, I mean, the guy's more right than CNN. And uh, then I'm like, Trump, I love Trump. Trump's great. He's the greatest president of my lifetime. I stand by that. Anyway, so like people on this are like, it's a psyop, it's a psyop. Like no one talks about Alex Jones and says they love Trump at the same time. Like it's a psyop, it's CIA. Like, ah, oh, if only they'd put me on their payroll. Anyway. You know the uh, news, <laughs> Nate was found out to be a member of the CIA through his love for Alex Jones and Trump. Um, <laughs> hey, Joanna. Good I, I can do this all day, by Thank the way. Thank you. I think Christopher needs to let more out. The what? Chris needs to let more out? Yeah. You could be a football announcer. Yeah. Or like a radio announcer. Why don't you do a podcast? Or do you? He is the, right now. Really? This counts. Oh, yeah, this you're on the podcast right now. Yeah, as a female, I would listen to that. Yeah, voice all day. So, since you're also... Um, knowledgeable on the scripture. I used to be a Nate knows a Jehovah Witness. So we were taught one of the teachings is that the new heaven and the new earth. So there will also um, at Armageddon or Judgment Day, there'll be a new earth where the meek will reside forever upon it. So if you can grasp that, I would, they, I thought and they think Judgment Day, we are going to stay living in our bodies and then 
whoever's alive on judgment day will not die, which Jesus said to Martha. Whoever is alive on that day will never die at all, okay? I feel silly saying this because I know you don't want believe this way. Um, but my question is, in John 5, 28, Jesus says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all those in the graves will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good rise to life, and those who have done evil rise to condemnation. So could someone help me because I'm unraveling that um, paradigm? Who, who are these that are going to um, be resurrected? Um, if that makes sense. Thank you, Nate. Chris, do you want to answer? Oh, thanks, Joanna. I was going to ask Chris if you wanted to answer that in his radio voice. Sure, in my radio voice. What we have is uh, the resurrection of the dead in the great white throne judgment. Uh, we see this in Revelation uh, 21. Uh, and uh, all people will be raised from the dead, not just uh, the righteous. But the difference is that at the great white throne, uh, the great judgment occurs. And that judgment, uh, the righteous uh, that accepted the gospel, the ones that we talked about, you know, Christ taking our sin and uh, giving us his perfect life to stand in for us, those people will go on to eternal life. The people who have rejected Christ and rejected his offer of eternal life, they will go on to eternal death. Both will be given new their original bodies back, but the bodies will be made um, incorruptible. Uh, and uh, that simply means that they will uh, not taste death. So the people that are in hell will live forever in hell. The people who are in uh, with Christ will live forever with Christ in a physical body. And even if the Pope does not like that, that is the way it is. Uh, Joanna, did that... Uh... Physical body? Yes. All people will be given back a physical body at the Great White Throne Judgment. That they will... Wow. Yep. That's, that's, what, that's been the Christian teaching for 2,000 years. Well, so it's, yeah, it's, it's like... It, well, yeah, it's like resurrected body. So, I mean, to say physical, like, just as we are right now, um, what would you say, Chris? Take it or leave it, perhaps a little different, but in some sense, well, yes. Like, some yeah. sort of different, how different, we don't know, but some sort right. of body where you can, like, obviously sense and feel things. Sure. The only thing that we have to go on is Jesus' resurrected body, but, you know, he's Jesus. So, we don't really know the particulars of how that's going to work. That's just not revealed in Scripture. Thank you. And lastly, so there'll be a thousand year reign, millennium reign. And then at the end of the thousand years, that's when there'll be another like separating of sheep and goats to the final um, judgment. Is that right? That's a tough one. So some people will place the sheep and goat judgment um, before the millennial reign that he judges the nations. Some people will place that after. I haven't done it. I dislike eschatology, so I haven't done a deep dive into the order of all that. People have charts. The bigger the, the chart that the person has, the less they know about it is a general rule of thumb. <laughs> That's great.
Thank you guys very much. I appreciate that. Of course. Yeah, anything else, just let us know. I don't know yeah, if I Nate dreads my questions or <laughs> but yeah. Uh coming out of being a Jehovah one of Jehovah's Witnesses as it's stated. Uh it's been very um helpful to be here. Nate's allowed me to ask kooky questions. Uh but yes, the eschatology gets exhausting because that's pretty much what I've focused on. Um and, and it's just a relief because I've asked Nate, but what about this one? Sometimes if Nate, if you remember, you'll just say, just focus on Jesus' love and salvation. You don't have to do all that work. So thank you. Take yeah, my yoke upon you because my burden is easy. Yeah, what's going to happen will happen. So, I mean, I mean focus on the most important things. So no matter what happens, I mean, obviously, salvation and eternal life is the biggest one, because then if someone's like, oh, gosh, I thought I had eschatology right, but um, oh, I was wrong. I should have worried about the salvation part a little bit more. Ah! For example, versus if uh, someone is saved and has eternal life and they've got that squared away and they're like, yes, Jesus, uh, faith alone. Jesus is my savior. It's death, burial, resurrection. Uh, thank you for eternal life and being born again. Um, oh, you mean I mis I miscalculated eschatology by like a couple years? Oh well, no big deal. The Gregorian lunar oh. calendar overlap. Oh no. <laughs> There's not a Gregorian calendar, right? That's not a thing. I'm thinking of Gregorian chant. <laughs> I think I like that because I was making it like a test. I'm going to get there and then I'm going to get, you know, okay, have a seat. Here's your pen and paper. You know, like those little those circles that you have to do for SATs. God's like, okay, let me grade your paper. So no, it's not like that. Yeah. For that Luckily, analogy, that's the good part. Like <laughs> well, yeah, that's the good part because the, uh, the, the, <laughs> to keep going on that analogy, it's like, Hey, um, you know, how do you get an A? Uh, Jesus. But what's the answer to the Jesus. But what's the uh, here's the question. Here's a really tough and it's a trick question. What's the answer? Oh, still Jesus. All right, you get an A. Uh, what, Chris? Oh, uh, no, I'm just glad it's not an SAT. That would, that'd be terrible. <laughs> But speaking of surveys and stuff, um, I was, you know, we had a family lunch with the brother-in-laws yesterday, and we had a whole long discussion about churches and stuff, and our churches, and um, kind of where everybody's at. You know, obviously there's there's play, there's things that people are dissatisfied with their churches about, and um, it seems to be like worship is like a big thing, like um, that people are dissatisfied with, um, which is interesting. But the other thing, too, is that I learned that one of our local pastors here in Orlando actually just wrote a book about de-churched people. And so I'm going to get this book. It sounds really interesting, but it's cool that it's like a local author and he's a pastor of a local uh, Reformed Baptist church. And um, he actually does this podcast with the pastor of my other brother-in-law's church which is a presby church so it's sort of sort of fun and interesting so i'm gonna check all that out um, hopefully well, probably not today because i'm already in the car working but 
you know, I'm going to see if I can order that book. So why do you have to prepare so much to have lunch with your uh, mother? Oh, yeah. So you know how Joanna said bad that, child. like, when, when uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Um, when she said that she, like, the JWs focus on eschatology all the time. My uh-huh. mom's not a JW, but she is, <laughs> like, you know who Perry Stone is? Of course not. Of course you don't. He's like a TV <laughs> preacher. He's kind of a whack job, charismatic okay. dude. Oh, yeah, I, I remember, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, not, yeah. Not about the preacher, but about your mom, your mom's issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, so my mom is just a handful, and so my wife just has to, like, spiritually prepare herself for several hours before spending an hour with my mom. It's like it's like a four-to-one ratio of, like, prayer and, and intense Bible study before, like, being able to handle my mom for an hour. Like, you think I'm kidding. I'm not. And so that's what she's doing right now. And so that's why I was like, well, I'm unsure, you know, she might need an emotional support animal, i.e. me, because um, we don't have any cats or dogs or anything. So that would have it's been, worth stopping might have been my role to get one. Right, exactly. Just get her a kitty for the day and just be like, here's a cat. Just, you know, pet the cat. <laughs> You're going to be okay. Relieve your stress. So, yeah, maybe, Dippity, maybe you just need a cat. Maybe you just need to be able to pet a cat, get rid of your work stress. Oh, real fast, um, anyway. before 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 we recommend support animals for serendipity, Arav says, do you debate also or just answer questions from Christians who aren't well-versed in theology? All of the above. I mean, we try not to, like, formally debate because that's just a soul-sucking uh, experience. But, I mean, you know, if people have questions, we answer them from the most biblically accurate perspective we can. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, we do do – we get sucked into a fair amount of debating, I guess, trying to, like, you know, convince people with arguments. But, uh, yeah, not like a formal debate. Like, each opponent gets two minutes. Nah, that's all nonsense. I don't have time for that. Like, repent and believe the gospel or don't. If you have questions about Christianity, we are happy to tell you what we believe and why we believe it and why we think you should, too. Um, and then take it or leave it. Um, yeah, I want to say hi to Caleb real fast, too. But... What's up, Caleb? Hey, what's up? How you doing? Uh, just woke up, so pretty good. <laughs> Still a little groggy at the moment, but uh, you know, happy Martin right. Luther King Day. So, uh, serendipity, a cat or a dog or, I don't know, something a little more unconventional? I have a cat and a chinchilla. <laughs> okay. Um, Do you actually own a chinchilla? Yes. No way. Way. Oh, my gosh. You have, I They're wish the I best. was home for my wife right now because I would put you right with her because like her nickname is chinchilla so like <laughs> did you give her that nickname? they are right her, so they're like they're cute and they're furry and they're very soft and yeah oh they're the know, best they? oh they, they are the best like if you're ever gonna have any type of um i guess quote-unquote rodent type pet they're absolutely the best ones to have they don't stink at all they're very low maintenance. Really? They're super affectionate. They're they're very similar to cats. Um but yeah, yeah, great pet to have. You know what? <clears throat> Do you remember Friends like the smelly cat song? I That's do. <laughs> I have 
a dog that I, I think has to be the inspiration for like like that that song in that show. <laughs> My dog stinks. Like he is like so sweet and nice and like you know like whenever we got him from the pound, we're like, how could anyone ever give up this dog? He's so amazing. He's so nice. I think that's the reason. He's just got some kind of like oil or like body odor or enzyme or something in him that he just freaking stinks. Like it's not his breath. Like it's, I I don't know, but it's just like, I think it comes from like his paws because dogs like sweat through their paws. He just exudes this like weird, funky, nasty smell. And I've had him go to the vet. Like I'm like, is it infection? Is it something like this? And it's just like, he won't, he won't smell at all for a while. But then sometimes, like, it, it just seems like he'll, like, get, get warm and, like, kind of sweat, like, through his paws or something. And I'm like, dude, that's just disgusting. It, it, it's just, like, this awful, awful smell. Anyway, um, yeah, so uh, definitely a smelly dog. Um, I don't know if there was a point to that other than you, your animals don't stink and mine is disgusting. <laughs> but we love him. You know how a lot of cage critters, like, I don't know, there's just, there's that cage smell, you know, like, uh, chinchillas don't, they, they're not odorous like that, and, like, their cages don't stink, they use a litter box, they, you can't bathe them, they're not allowed to get wet, so they just take dust baths, um, they don't smell, they just don't smell like, like, rabbits and guinea pigs and, you know, the other animals that are very similar and akin to it. And they're way more affectionate. Um, as long as they're handheld a lot as babies. Now, if you get one that's older that wasn't really handled a lot, they can kind of be like the rest of the rodents. But, um, yeah, great pet. Great pet. Oh, and uh, good advice. Good advice. And Arav, if you want to if you want to speak, jump on up here. Otherwise, if you can just chat, that's fine. But. Chris, do you want to you want to speak to uh, you know since this is a Christian podcast I guess or something like that? Someone told me. Um, you want to s- talk about any of his questions in chat? Um, let's see. One says, "I would want to debate someone." I'm I'm going to change that word to ask someone why they think Christianity is the one true religion. I'm ex-Catholic, ex-Hindu, and an atheist with non uh, non-resistant non-belief. It's okay though. I wouldn't impose a debate. Uh, and there's something in there. Uh, I support Christianity as long as it manages to be flexible. That's why. Uh, sorry, I'm trying to read this from far away. Um, it's been at least trying to be a few decades now. Well, I, I mean, simply, I would say if you're non-resistant, non-belief, I'd say exercise a little bit of what if. The Bible calls that faith. <clears throat> like something could be true. So exercise that. Jesus says from that position, from like this humble, seeking, sincere, like you want to know. You don't care what the answer is. You just want to know. Um, like you're not resistant. Pray to Jesus. So at a certain point, like questioning is fine. But at a certain point, <clears throat> we believe it's between the, this relationship with our creator and creation is between us and God alone. So at a certain point, Stop watching like, you know, Christians debate or YouTube or um, even reading the Bible a lot because, <laughs> I mean, the Bible is great. But I mean, you know, the Bible can the Bible is text. So if you're not reading it with the inspiration of God, it, it may as well just be another book. 
Um, so I'd say at some point, pray to the one in the book, to Jesus. Say, Jesus, you say we must be born again, and you say you will give eternal life freely to whoever wants it. So that would look something like, Jesus, I'm willing to believe that you are who you say you are. You claim to be in the Bible. You died for my sins, things that make me imperfect, things that I, cause me regret, things that go against what God says not to do. These are what the Bible calls sins. Anything that transgresses or goes against what God wants, what God says. So I've done plenty of those. If you've ever lied, if you've ever stolen, if you've ever known to do something good and not done it, like the point is every single person has done some sin. Um, anyway, so Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose from the dead. You could forgive me of everything I've done wrong. <clears throat> all my sins. So I accept that. I'm willing to believe you are who you say you are, and I want this eternal life. And if you believe that and you confess Jesus as Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. So at that point, we're told that the God of the Bible will live with you and help you and guide you into further understanding. So in a nutshell, that is Christianity. Um, anything you would follow up with that, Chris? That's a really good nutshell. Good stuff. But, but the real point is pray to Jesus. Like, I can't stress that enough. Um, you don't need to confess to another person. You don't need to have other people pray for you. I mean, you know, asking other Christians to pray for you, I mean, that's fine. But that's not going to get you to a God belief um, on its own. You need to pray to the God that all the Christians are talking about. Um, that's the ultimate answer. So if anyone's going to convince you of God, it's God himself. I believe that. Do you believe if someone's out there not knowing which religion is true and they're like sincerely seeking that they should sort of try like praying to each one and then when they get to Christianity, you think that will be the one where it's revealed, of, oh, I feel the Holy Spirit and this is the correct one. And when I tried praying to Allah or something, it didn't work. Is that like basically each one's not Christianity is going to be the one that holds up when you try sincerely praying to it and the other ones won't or? Well, being, I mean, being sincere to my beliefs, no, I wouldn't recommend that at all because I believe Christianity is right. That's why I'm a Christian. If I, if I wasn't sure um, and I was still searching, then I'd say, yeah, I guess I'll just pick one and, you know, try them all. Um, so yeah. what do I got to do to be cool with your version of God? Well, for Christianity, it's pray to Jesus, have faith, and God himself will reveal himself to us. I believe there will be a spiritual awareness somehow that this Bible you're reading isn't just another book. There's something deeper to it. There's like a deeper spiritual truth. Um, and that's usually when people are like, I prayed, I did what the Bible said, and I, I just now understand there's a God. I just believe it. I, it's just, boom, like that. There is a God. I just know this stuff. Um, versus other religions don't have such a thing, really, where you can pray to their deity, and their deity is going to you know, resonate with them and uh, you know, live with them and guide them and show them things. Um, it's more like, well, I don't know, for Islam, for example, um, you know, like do the five pillars of Islam. So like whatever religion says, well, uh, well, that's what you should do. Except, you know, if you follow the five pillars of Islam, you'll do that your whole life and you'll never know if there's a God until you die. And then if you've been, you know, being a faithful Muslim, I guess, then you'll find out. Um, or something else like, you know, the, the great earth spirit or Gaia or something like that. There's, there's nothing in there where you can like, communicate to these deities and they reciprocate um so so for other religions i'd say well if you want to try it do what they say to be an adherent of their faith but there's not a lot of feedback in christianity it's all about feedback so you pray to jesus jesus speaks to you and there's like a like not like an audible voice or something like that 
I mean, some will claim that, but that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about like, you know, the, for one, the Bible like seems to come alive and it's different. They're like, well, why is it just like Harry Potter? Well, read Harry Potter. I can still read Harry Potter. It's an okay book. I kind of like it, um, but it's just a book. I can read other religious texts, but it's just a book. Um, I can read the Bible, uh, you know, before I'm a Christian, before I have faith in God, before I believe in any of this stuff. And it's just another book. But whenever you pray to the one described in that book, it's like, huh, wow, I guess God's real. I guess this is true. And it's difficult to explain unless you just do it. Anyways, no, uh, Caleb, going back, though, I would also, in my Christian belief, would not encourage people to just, like, start praying to whatever deity. Because, you know, we believe demons are a very real thing. So someone's like, well, hey, here's a religion, um, and here's this deity, and if you pray to this deity, it will definitely answer you. Um, and then you pray to this deity, uh, you know, demon, <laughs> and um, you're like, oh my gosh, this deity spoke to me in ways I've never heard. Like, I felt things I've never felt before. Like, this is the one true one. And, uh, you know, the atheists will be like, okay, you brainwashed yourself. Um, the agnostics are like, well, I can't prove or disprove, but I doubt it. I'm not sure. Um, and, you know, the people of that religion will be like, we have found God or goddess, praise it. Um, and, you know, the Christians are like, ooh, yeah, that's a demon. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you're not trying to just look for feedback, um, like, like so something like that. Like, you need to know what you're doing. And, you know, from the Christian worldview, if it's not the God of the Bible, the only other explanations are it doesn't exist. It's imaginary. You brainwash yourself. Or it's another malevolent spiritual entity. So please don't pray to demons is the takeaway from today. Yeah, I think you're probably right about other religions having like different things. I think that probably the closest one to that would be Mormonism in terms of the whole like, oh, pray to God and the Holy Spirit if the Book of Mormon is true and you're reading it and it will reveal it, right? But yeah, I think other religions have a bit more of a tasking kind of way of of asking God in that particular way. But yeah, Mormonism is probably the closest you're going to get in terms of the whole confessor, you know, to Jesus and pray over it and see if it's true more so than maybe Islam would be. Oh, hey, Mark, didn't see you down there. Oh, it's because you changed your picture. Oh, yeah, Mark's on the Michigan train. <clears throat> I mean, I don't support idolatry, but... <laughs> Just kidding. You can have wow. your football teams. Wait, was that was that bad? I'm just kidding. Uh, oh, Mark, I've uh, worked my way about halfway through that other side of Calvinism book. When I get all the way through it, I'll give you my opinion. Morning, Lou. Oh, Patricia. You saw the cereal, right? Talking to my child. Okay. They are off of school today. Yay. Yep. My guy, too. But I still got to go install this computer. Send out some billing. I like money. <laughs> Chris, don't you know money? Only money is the root of all evil. <clears throat> it's not the love of money. That'd be being correct. It is money is the root of all evil. Right? Yeah. I love how people will like misquote Bible verses. Or, they'll, or there'll be like, 
God helps those who help themselves. I'm like, great, find that for me in the scripture. Go ahead. I'll wait right here. What would you say is about, would you say, I mean, that's got to be like the top three of misquoted scriptures. Like, the love of money is the root of evil. Or judge not others. That one's misquoted. A lot. Oh, yeah. Don't judge me, bro. <laughs> okay, I think we've got a, a contender for the top two, definitely. Or Jeremiah 11, where it's like, you don't know the plans I have for your life or something. I forget yeah, the verse. Jeremiah 29.11. Yeah. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Yeah, I got that one memorized from my youths. We have a guy that just came in. His name is Money. We're not talking about you, Money. You're not the root of all evil. I mean, yet. I don't know you. Uh, he might be. You never know. I mean, you know. We're oh, Isaiah. That's a good one. That, that's like a debate one, though. That's like that's like for atheists. It's like, God creates evil as calamity. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so in the in the normal world of people, I'm, I'm going with the love of money and the judge not one. And then when you get into, like, you know, discussions, yeah, that Isaiah one's going to come up. It's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money. I it's know. the root of all We're talking... kinds of evil. It's not even yeah. all evil. It's all kinds of evil. <laughs> yeah, someone should probably quote that the proper way. Yeah, yeah. Between, between the two of you, you got it. <laughs> so, yeah, the, love, the love of money the is the all kinds of evil. I think the tongue is the root of all evil. The tongue is a fire. James. Yep. Sorry, I'm just driving. What's it say like it's a un unbrid or unbridled or well there's a life and death is held in the power, or the power of life and death is held in the tongue, okay. right? So, like, hey, the, two passages, oh, the two passages my son and I are memorizing together this year are the James 5 about the tongue and Proverbs 3 about the, um, how do I put this? The immodest woman. Hey, Nate. Woman, huh? What's up, Edwin? Hey, uh, a question? It's unrelated to what you're talking about. Sure. Okay. Um, you or anyone have any idea who the elder in the story of the prodigal son? Who do you think the older brother represents? I don't know if you're familiar with the story. Maybe anyone have any ideas? The older brother, the elder brother who was upset. Yeah, it's faithful. It's Correct. faithful Christians who have not strayed far from the path. It's like they've always, you know, towed the line, done what, you know, done what God has wanted, uh, not been like, you know, um, <laughs> gross, habitual sinners. Um, you know, they've, they've, you know, done what honors God. Um, oh, good little church parable. people. Okay, parable, well, he's well, speaking it, to the Pharisees. Yeah. And the Pharisees hang on, hang on, Edward. We'll let Edwin finish since he was asking the question. Yeah, finish up, Ed. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess the thing is, though, that the older brother gets angry. He gets angry that the father is having this celebration for the prodigal son. So do you feel like that's um, faithful Christians? It's the Pharisees. It's the Pharisees. 
literally in the context. He's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees who grumble because he receives tax collectors and sinners, and he gives the parable. They're the older brother in the parable, and what they should have done, they should have welcomed the younger brother back. Instead, they're grumbling because they said, you never gave me a fatty calf. You never gave me this and that. They're, they're upset that he's welcoming their younger brother back. This is their brother, and he's welcoming them back, and they're upset about it. And in, in that parable, the Pharisees are the older brother. brother. And you look, and they, they end up being the ones that don't go into the feast. Uh, the, center, the, the, the younger brother comes back. He goes into the feast. He celebrates. The Pharisees are the ones who are outside the celebration. So uh, the parable breaks down because they're, I believe they're actually lost. But in their minds, they were the ones who always stayed and served. He said, all these years I've served you. They looked at it as a legalistic kind of service, not as a, you're my father, I love you. I'm just serving you out of grudging obedience. So I think it's definitely the Pharisees. And see, that's why I, yeah, let's get a tiebreaker here in a minute. But yeah, that's why I kind of thought it was like, you know, Christians, because they have served, they have been faithful, so they're not lost. Um, so, So that was my kind of reasoning. It's basically like, well, look, they've, they've always been here. It's kind of like the lost sheep. It's like, you know, if the lost sheep were the elder brother, you could just substitute or, or the parable of the lost sheep. You could substitute all the 99 sheep for the elder brother because they've been the good sheep, just like following along their shepherd. Um, and they're not getting a special treatment. Their shepherd's not like, you know, going over hills and deserts to find them because they're right there. So they don't get anything special. But then when the one, one lost sheep, the prodigal son, goes off, you know, they get this special seemingly special treatment the shepherd like you know does all this extra work to get the sheep and you know when the prodigal comes back the the dad seemingly does all this extra stuff um for them so like the other sheep are like well why didn't we get that And he's like you've been with me all the time but this one was gone and i had to go find them it's like a it it just seems like the parallels between the lost sheep parable and the uh prodigal son but let's see uh chris uh, and i mean it is a parable so i mean i guess multiple meanings can be had but where do you stand? Are the the parable of the prodigal son is that the um, the Pharisees or Christians that have never? Uh, I, I don't know. Do you have a third option? Well, so remember, parables are always impossible to uh, deem what the meaning is unless the meaning is explained. And Jesus literally explains the meaning of this parable within the context and. Nick is exactly correct that this is about the Pharisees. And I'll go a step further that the prodigal son becomes prodigal because he is the logical conclusion of the Pharisees' teachings. And so the reason that Jesus is telling this parable is it about salvation. It is about how all of Israel is lost like sheep gone astray and that they are all prodigal sons and that the one manifests it the most who we see in the story as the quote-unquote prodigal son he is brought back to faith so he is a faithless jew that is brought back to jesus for salvation and the people that are grumbling are the teachers of that faithless jew because they still don't get it and that is the that's the like jesus is using this as a slam against the pharisees thank you i appreciate it nick and chris i i tend to agree with you go on thank you very much well, I'll just hang my head in shame. <laughs> no, 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 no. no, no. no I mean, like, it, it's, not bad, it's not a bad, it's not a bad, you know, um, interpretation, but like, what we have to do with all parables, first of all, all parables are about salvation. 
that's the first thing to realize is that when you do a, a longitudinal study of all of the parables, all of the parables are about salvation. Um, and we can go through them one by one. I know that, that Pastor Mark might have some thoughts about that, but, um, <clears throat> but uh, that is one, one lens that we always look through. The other thing is that we, um, we use the context, we use the history, we use, you know, what the author is trying to get across because the parables in different uh, books are going to have, um, <clears throat> you know, they're, they're telling different parables. Unless it's, I think there's a few parables that are told in all of the Gospels. I don't remember. Well, and, and the key <clears throat> is parable. What's that? Well, and the key, you know, you look at the beginning of chapter 15 in Luke. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Then he starts a list of parables about the, the lost sheep and the lost coin. And then he goes to the, the parable of the prodigal son. And it's still the same group of people. It's the Pharisees, and he's, he's, the illustration is mainly for... The crazy thing is, it's more about the older brother. The illustration is more for them than it is the younger brother. And we emphasize, you know, the prodigal son, when really the older brother was the one he's telling the illustration to, to try and get him, you know, and I, to my, I've read the book on this. Tim Keller's got the book. I wouldn't recommend a lot of his stuff, but he has a parable of the prodigal God or the the prodigal God, and it's on the parable of the prodigal son. And he points out how the reckless one was the father who actually, you know, did all this to get the son back, whatever. But anyways, it's it's a good book. Another explanation is that the house of Israel represents the prodigal son. What do you think of that? That was from chat. Uh, that'd be pretty tough. Nah. <clears throat> I wouldn't find that in there. Walter <laughs> said Calvinists are always lost. <laughs> well, you know, we say the same thing about Roman Catholics. Uh, quick, difference in Catholics and Roman Catholics. We're all Catholics. You, me, yeah. Nick. Oh, wait, you uh, mean like Catholic, like global Catholic, like in, in that sense, like globally Catholic? Oh, it means it's universal. Yeah, I know. That's the difference. It's not like, like, Catholic. yeah, because I know that means like the universal church, but um, like there's not different kinds of, of Catholic, not, not what you said, but like actual, like. If you're if you're a Roman Catholic, there's no other type of Catholic. Not talking about like the universal Catholic. Oh, you're talking about like do they have like different factions? Sure, like American Catholic, European Catholic, oh, Roman Catholic. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like there's dozens and dozens of factions in the Catholic Church. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, do they the all consider the faction? They're all well, well, considered okay. Roman Catholic. But but they're all they're under all the Pope. Yeah, they're all yeah, considered yeah. Roman Catholic. They're all technically under the Pope, but you've got liberal Catholics that are. You got yeah, I, I didn't mean that. Yeah. You got yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> charismatic Catholics. There's, there's Reformed the, Catholics. What does that mean? Reformed Catholic. I have no clue. Yeah, that, I don't know what that means. Well, reform. Well, Reformed Catholics are Protestants that are just trying to be like cute. That's all that means. <laughs> I'm serious. Like that's just like so the boys. Um, I call them the boys, like the college students, they'll say that they're reformed Catholic. And all that means is that they're Protestants, but they like to poke the bear with the Catholics. That's 
that's all that means. So kind of like Jews for Jesus. Right, exactly. Hey, Courtney. It's just like... Time to see. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. <laughs> Sounds like someone's on like the airplane, like flying food in the airplane to their mouth. Yeah, my son uh, is playing with his dinosaurs on the floor as I was walking by. That's why I muted so fast. Oh, someone was talking about church problems, Chris. Um, <laughs> the, um, the, the biggest problem we're having, uh, our church just moved into a new, uh, new building and everything, and they decided to go the way of the church cafe. Um, so anyways, my, my wife has tried for the second Sunday in a row to, uh, to get uh, some coffee. She's like, well, I want to try it. I want to see if it's any good. So she's tried, and apparently they close it down, like, hard at, like, 10.59.59. So, so she's been there, and she's been, like, the last person in line. No one's behind her. And both times, uh, they put up the sign. They're like, oh, we're sorry. We're closed. Come back after church. Like, so she's quite, uh, quite angered by that. Bro, that is, that is some crazy stuff, man. I'm like, I get that you want people to, you know, be, be in worship on time and stuff, even though, like, you know, lots of people show up, like, 20 minutes late. Um, I guess the cafe is not going to be the reason for that, though. So right. I'm like, man, that's rough. I'm like, just give her a cup of coffee. So anyways, um, <laughs> that's our church struggles. I mean, is it the kind of thing where you can go, like, go, like, I want a mocha, latte, half-calf, you know, whatever, no whip, or is it, like, just coffee? Uh, it is that so, type of thing, but I don't know what type my wife, I mean, she'd probably want something middle of the road, like not, not too complicated. Yeah, Courtney. I was just going to say, um, was there a previous subject? Cause I didn't want to like derail anything. Uh, no, um, we were hot off the hills of the, um, prodigal son parable, but I think we have closed that out. So. We are open and available for new topics. Oh, I don't have anything to offer. <laughs> just, I just, you know, sometimes I'll come into a room and there's like a flow going and I don't want to like interrupt it. I want to be up to speed before I open my mouth, you know. Who was the parable of the prodigal son about then? <laughs> or um, you what, was the que what was the question, Edward? I think we just... Oh, who the elder? Yeah, who the elder brother represents in the parable? Yeah, I just want to see yeah. what uh, if she says the same thing mm -hmm. some other people said. Yeah, so who in the prodigal son parable? Who is the elder brother? Who is that representing? I'm um, oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hold on one second. I'm trying to get my son on the pump. I I'll be right back. I just want to see where the tally stands. In other news, I am about to re-break my caffeine dependency, so I hope this will be the last day I have to have some very weak green tea. I, uh, I pretty much only drink water for like a year and a half, and uh, in, in the last several months, I've like gone hard back to the soda. I'm like, soda? I'm like, ew, that's too sweet. Like Usually when it's sick, that's when I, I eat like junk food, which is like the opposite of what you should be doing, but it's comforting. So like I, I got sick a while ago. And I, I just started having, like, tons of awful food and, like, went back to soda. And I'm like, oh, the first time I went back to soda, I'm like, that's too sweet. That's disgusting. How did I ever drink that? And, you know, I bought, like, a two-liter. So I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Not drink it. So, like, you know, by the time I was done, I'm like, oh, okay. That remembers how it was. That was great. And then I've just been, like, pounding sodas. I'm like, this is awful. 
I so did um, the opposite. I was sick, and I stopped drinking all caffeine and stuff, and I just started drinking it again. I'm, I'm really trying to get back off of it because you feel great to be off of it. Yeah, yeah, to wake up and like not have to have coffee or soda or anything, it's, it's liberating. Kind of like how Christ sets you free. Just saying, if you're not a Christian, that's what uh, you know. being one feels like. Not dependent on, on things of this world. I don't know. Is that all analogies break down? Anyway, so um, I, I'm like trying to wean myself off uh, because, man, caffeine headaches are awful. So, yeah, I've, I've went to like tea. I started on black tea, and then I went to like green tea, like pretty hard green tea. And now I've been like um, just very, very little, like a few ta- teaspoons of green tea. And yesterday I didn't have any. Today I'm, I'm starting to get a headache, so I'm like, all right, better have something. So we'll see how that goes, but I'm I'm hoping either uh, by the end of this week I will be free from the curse of caffeine. See, I, I bought some decaf. I'm gonna try to get back off of it like that. At least keep some sugar and just be decaf and have a still warm drink and all that, and maybe I can stop again like that. This is bad. Yeah, I, I don't like like whatever I was off of it because I've, I've drank caffeine like tons of caffeine my entire life. And yeah, whenever I, I have got off of it, um, yeah, it was great. Cause I'm like, I woke up, they're like, what do you want for breakfast? I'm like, glass of water, please. I feel a lot better. Yep. Sleep a lot better. Huh. Edwin, how you been? I don't think I've talked to you for a while. I've been, um, Doing okay. I'm still practicing the piano, studying the book of Hosea, Romans, working. So, uh, listening to uh, debates on um, certain. Th- hesitate to bring the topic up because I don't. Um, um, on dispensationalism. Do yes. No, don't do yes. it. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, so. I have another question, if you don't mind, uh, or we can wait sure. till Courtney gets back. Okay. Uh, when Jesus says you must be born again, you, if you don't, you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. Um, one view is that that new birth happens. He's referring to something that happens. That's the resurrection. Your bodies are resurrected. Now, I traditionally, I thought that it's referring to, and I tend to lean towards the view that it's referring to something that happens in this life, the new birth. Like, would you agree with that, or is it actually referring to the, the resurrection of your bodies, where actually that's when we become uh, born uh, again? What do you think? No, I, I, well, I don't want to be twice in one day, but I'll go ahead and start. <laughs> so, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, and I believe the context, I'm, I'm more familiar with that than the prodigal son context, because I haven't read it in a while. Um, no excuses, no excuses, I failed. Um, the I still think I'm totally wrong, but... Um, Okay, so he says you born of like flesh, uh, born of this, uh, the water and the spirit. So regardless of what baptized is going to say down there, um, it means you're born of the flesh physically, like you are born, how a human child is born. Um, that, that would be the water. And born of the spirit is when your dead spirit becomes alive in Christ and it is born again. So I believe that is the moment someone is saved, the moment someone believes and confesses Jesus is Lord, and he makes them born again and grants them eternal life. Um, Nick gave me a thumbs up, so I'm going to do a victory lap. Want to want to add on to that, Nick? Yeah, that's, I mean, people that born of water, some people say that's like in Titus where it says the washing of regeneration. 
But I think water might refer to the natural birth and then, you know, born of the spirit, the spiritual rebirth. So I think, yeah, I think that's kind of how I interpret it. Okay, here we go. So, reading the, con- reading the context again, that dangerous context, um, the, the, wa- the water is referring to Ezekiel 36, uh, 26, um, where <clears throat> there is the, uh, the waters of repentance. And so this is simply saying that you've got to repent and believe. It's just another way of Jesus saying you've got to repent and believe. Um, and he's referring specifically to the new covenant here, and that's why he asks Nicodemus, "Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not know these things?" Um, because the new birth is specifically about the new covenant, and that is covered in Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six. So, yeah. I'm going to say that that wasn't so far away from what we said that um, we all agree. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's just it's just regeneration, and and honestly, the born again at the resurrection is a Roman Catholic view. So, okay, uh, so I wasn't aware of that. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Yeah. So, would you say that a person chooses? Okay, when we get into like Calvinism and uh, phases of like redemption, would you say that uh, the new birth? We don't choose the new birth. We, we are God regenerates us and then we're given faith and we believe in Christ and we're justified. Isn't it like an order of redemption? That is correct. Okay. Right, because you, you don't have anything to do with your first birth. You certainly don't have anything to do with your second birth. That is called monergism. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, thanks. Lou, I'm trying to read your comments. You're saying water is not there. What do you mean? It says you must be born of the water and the spirit, right? Where do you see Lou's comment? Oh, he's texting me. Okay, Kyoto. I hate how Nate gives controversial takes and acts like it's the only tenable view. Um, I don't know what you're referring to, but I gave my view. Nick pretty much agreed with my view. Chris, um, I'm going to say pretty much, uh, disagreed with our view. So I, I don't know how I acted like it was the only view. And the prodigal son view, like, I gave mine. Um... And then everyone disagreed. <laughs> so I don't know how I acted like mine is the only tenable view, unless I'm in an alternate reality. But that's fine. Um, what's First Peter 3.21 about? Okay, let's pull the rabbit out of the hat. Yeah, it literally says it's not about the water washing the body. It's not about baptism. Like, that's just, that's a, that's a, I know, Kevin, like, everybody loves that stuff. It's a bad Roman Catholic apologetic for baptismal regeneration. There is no such thing as baptismal regeneration. Wait, what are we talking about? Who's Kevin? Right, so, so, uh, Kyoto, sorry. He's a friend of mine in real life. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, so that is the, that is the take, and I would say that's a more controversial take um, than the waters of the mikvah uh, in terms of repenting and believing. Um, but you could make a case that that is a type of baptism um, because there is a sprinkling of water, um, a la in Deuteronomy as well. So, I mean, you know, but the idea of, of baptismal regeneration um, 
comes up in the church fathers um, early on because they're battling Gnosticism and they're looking for any type of physical signs of grace, physical means of grace, to battle the idea that the only thing that is truly uh, good is spiritual, which is the Gnostic idea. Um, and then that became the error of baptismal regeneration. So First Peter, First Peter directly contradicts the idea of baptismal regeneration because it's, it literally says in the passage it's not talking about water baptism. Um, am I muted or okay? Yeah. So, so, so Lou, again, so, Lou was. So, oh, sorry. Just just to finish this up, Kyoto, I can dismiss it as Romanist nonsense because there's a lot of stuff in Reformed theology that didn't go far enough that was just Romanist nonsense, and so there's t always reforming. Semper Reformanda is our motto for a reason because there was a whole bunch of Romanist nonsense that was included in all kinds of reformed writings for hundreds of years. And so, like, you know, but I mean, that's, oh, this, that's neither here nor there. This is funny to see the trifecta because the other day you guys were on the same page against me over the catechism. And I guess I just assumed he was reformed like you. Um, but now it's gone the other way where, um, it, it, that's weird. You can well, see like a weird trifecta there. Cause it's like catechism. A yes. A baptism. No. Yeah. This is just, a I know that's fine. But yeah, Lewis. Like, yeah, yeah, Lewis. John three five. Um, he was saying he didn't think water was present in there, and he says read the Greek. Um, I mean, maybe I'll bring up any later in a minute. But um, so it says John three five. Except a man be born of water and the Spirit. Let's see. Water is. How do I pronounce this? Hudor. <laughs> so water. What does water mean? Yeah, I got it. I pulled the dictionary up. Just says watery fluid, living water, fresh flowing water, um, water of spiritual refreshment. This means water. Yeah, uh, yeah. So water, as if rainy, literally, or figuratively, water. Uh, yeah, Lou. Hope that answers, I guess. It's definitely something you know, I want to study more. Baptism, you know, regeneration, different views of baptism. That I will act yeah. like there's only one view of, and mine is right. Bapt <laughs> baptism is not necessary for salvation. Um, does anyone know how to do um, blueletterbible.org? How I always use it for Strong's. How do you do the interlinear? I, I believe there's options, right? Maybe it would be easier if I weren't on my phone. Well, you click on the – I actually have Blue Letter Bible open right now. I'm studying. Uh, so you search for the passage, and then you click on the, the passage. Like you look at John 1, 6, you click on it, and it brings up – you see interlinear Bible cross-refs. you see that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there it is. Oh, thanks. Okay. Yeah, no problem. I always just use it for uh, Strong's. Yeah, I got to go see a client and install some RAM in a laptop, so I will catch you guys later. All right, hey, let us know care. how lunch goes. Oh, yeah. That's, my what, mom what has already called me four times <laughs> and texted me three times in the last hour about this today. Is this like just a, hey, mom, how's it going lunch, or is this a conversation? Is this her birthday about lunch? 
her birthday oh, okay. was yesterday. She's 82. So she's, she's you know, this is literally the only thing going on in her life. And, you know, <laughs> so, you know, one of those things. Well, let us know how it goes. If she takes you to a, a NAR church, let us, let us know how that goes. She finally got out of that. She goes to a Baptist church, a very nice little Baptist church. Now, so. Oh, that's safe. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, and her pastor's actually really cool. I've met him, and he's a good dude, and he's teaching, like, he's teaching verse by verse at their church, so that's good. This is good, sober Bible teaching for her. <laughs> All right, catch you later. Uh, Courtney, did you make it back yet? Yeah, sorry. My, my son has a feeding pump, and I have to blend it up with a stick blender, and it's really loud, and so, um... I've been listening, but like, have we segued? Or I think we have concluded that topic again. So now we're back at nothing. <laughs> okay, it's okay. I understand. Um, yeah, I was listening, but I wasn't like paying attention. So, what other subject did we go to? Oh, we were talking about John three five, that being born again. Like, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What does that mean? Um, that born of the spirit and the water. Oh, so someone said uh, the resurrection. Who said that? Was that someone that was here? Uh, that was something that I heard. Uh, that was that a question. Believe that the, the uh, new birth, being born again, takes place at the resurrection and Christmas, saying that that's a Roman Catholic uh, doctrine. So I would actually agree with that, but that doesn't negate the spiritual aspect to today, right? Um, because we know that a part of the covenant in being born again is that God gives us a new heart, great, wonderful. We see passages in the New Testament that indicate that we will have a new heart. However, there, that is not complete until the resurrection. What do I mean by complete? All the promises of the new covenant have not been, um, I guess you want to say installed, fulfilled yet. And this is because we are still in a sinful body. So I think there is a twofold aspect to it. Like most things in the scripture, you can see the spiritual application of it being involved in our life here right now, you know, the quote moment when you were saved. But then there's the aspect of the literal, because I believe that God works in both spiritual and the literal. I think the literal is the resurrection, being given a new glorified body so that you don't continue to sin, right? That's the entire point, because when you are given a glorified body, you become, quote, like the angels, like, not exactly the same, but like the angels. And I believe that in that, quote, like the angels, you won't sin. You won't have the capacity to sin. You won't sin. And well, I still think the me. first thing. Yeah, what's that I'm passage that says, like, we were made, we were created, like, only a little lower than the angels? Yeah, yeah. So, basically, we're going to be like the angels, but not, not sin. I mean, now, I was actually just discussing this the other day with Dr. Josh, uh, we didn't get a chance to fully flesh it out because he had to leave. But nonetheless, that's the point in the resurrection is restoration back to the good thing which God created in the garden before sin came into the picture. So theoretically speaking, we'd go back before that, which means no sin. Now, do we have the capacity to sin, i.e. the choice, like we could choose, there's free will choice? That's something I haven't really got into too much, but I think if we have the capacity, then we choose not to. But 
what would be the point in getting a glorified body, right? We could theoretically, if God just put a new mind in us with the same body that we have and just renewed it, then we'd still have the same thing. But then you have to bring in other theological premises such as the flesh and blood and bones, etc., cannot stand before a holy God. So, I mean, there's a kind of a lot there, but that's why I think there is a question. Um, how can a man be born again if he's already born from his mother's womb? Yeah, and I think that's where the whole spirit comes in. It's not like a rebirth like, you know, Nicodemus. It's like, how, you're a teacher of Israel. How do you not know this? Um, it, it's like you're not you're not being naturally born again. You're, you, I believe that was the water, um, was a natural birth. And, you know, the spiritual birth is your dead spirit becoming alive again. Yeah, I think the spiritual aspect of that is true. But where does the literal come into play? Because we know literally there will be a resurrection. Absolutely. And where does that come into play with all of this? Is that a part of being, quote, born again? Is that like the final finishing aspect of being born again? Um, because yeah, I, I believe, well, I, I believe like... I mean, I believe it's, you know, your eternal life, like it, it starts the moment you, you know, you believe Romans 10, 9 and 10. When you believe, you know, Jesus was raised from the dead and you confess Jesus as Lord, you know, you're a disciple of Christ. You ask to be born again. You ask for eternal life. It's a, that's free. Um, I believe that moment is when you're saved, you are born again and your eternal life has begun. And then, you know, you being resurrected in a glorified body. That's just the progression of things. But nothing else happens like you I, I believe that that you're not born again at that moment you're born again like you're spiritually given eternal life um, and your dead spirit is alive because it says we're given a new heart and you know um, it'll be like Christ living in us and all this other stuff well Christ doesn't live in us after we're resurrected I believe that happens right now which is like the whole you know armor of God and like gets into the Christian living in the New Testament yeah so when you say you believe the eternal life has begun uh, you mean like right now, like, but I mean, we will yes. still die. This body will die. Thus we need right. that new. Okay. Okay. Like spiritually, like your eternal life is done. So like whenever you get like struck by lightning, like now, or you die in like a hundred years, like whenever your natural self dies, like you've already been given like it, the eternal life that's going to last forever. So like, you know, it's appointed a man wants to die. So that's going to happen. So when I say like you have eternal life, it's not like this body's not going to die. Like, yes, I think everyone here believes that's going to happen, but it's not like, after that body dies, then it's like, okay, now you're born again. Now your eternal life like actually has begun. I believe that's already like, we're cool with God. If that's another way, another way of looking at it, like we are called friends of God. Like we are called, we've been given the right to be called children of God already upon being, you know, our profession of faith, being believing in Jesus as death, burial, resurrection. Like we don't have to be wait to be called children of God. Like we are already heirs yeah. of Christ. Yeah. hundred percent. I don't believe that we have to, you know, wait to be called children of God. Absolutely not. I just, I keep making reference to the finality of the promises that are fulfilled within the new covenant, right? With regards to the resurrection, because I think, I think we kind of gloss over, yeah, we'll be resurrected, right? But there's so much of the scripture that hinges on the resurrection. It's, it's crazy that we kind of gloss over it. And I think, in glossing over it, we're really missing the point of it, right? I, I think that's kind of what I'm trying to focus on a little bit. Oh, hey, yes, Ro, I saw you were uh, typing in chat. Uh, feel free to jump in in a voice if you like. 
are you speaking? Uh, well, if you want to speak, just hit that mute button. Oh, hey, Steph. I'll just read it. Okay. Uh, didn't Jesus say that you cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again? So if this new birth doesn't happen until resurrection, why does Jesus tell the Pharisees that the kingdom of heaven is within you? Uh, yeah, I think we all said the same things. I think Courtney was just emphasizing um, the resurrection, but I think it sounds like we're all on the same page. -ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because essentially he's just talking about repentance. And uh, I think that's why he says that, you know, you're a teacher of the law, which means you should be teaching repentance and you don't understand this because repentance is the key to faith. Because if you do repentance in faith, then you are acknowledging that God is doing something for you that you're not able to do for yourself. And with that, it grants you access into eternal life. And the, the eternal life part is just what I was focusing on. Yeah. Hey, Steph. Welcome. It's been a little bit. Hello. I'm, uh, I got my head in the game for today. Did you, you see all the like snow it? Buffalo got? <laughs> what? Uh, what? I said, you see all the huh? snow Buffalo got? I'm talking about the bills. Uh, no, I didn't. I heard Mark was asking if you were going to go like clean the field of uh, the snow. Yeah, they're offering $20 an hour, but instead, oh, all, the, all the crazy Buffalonians are out there like making snow slides and because they're having to shovel out the stadium like the seats too so they've got like the plows out on the field and then they've got just fans shoveling the seats but people are just making slides down the stairs it oh that's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> this is why you can't have nice things yeah exactly so funny so uh yeah What's up? I, I asked if you were Catholic yet. <laughs> Not yet, no. No, I'm literally never going to be Catholic ever. Well, never say never. Never. I believe that the Lord will not let that happen. Oh, um, could I address something from the comment section? Oh, sure. What's going on? Um, he said that Jesus didn't say anything about repentance to Nicodemus. He only spoke about being born above and that's pretty much what the gospel so uh does the gospel not imply that you must do repentance how many times does jesus say that your sins are forgiven but repent and sin no more how many times i mean i i, I cannot fathom a world where a person thinks repentance and acknowledgement for sin which actually is what the prodigal son is about by the way um is not needed I'm not sure what well, is he saying is trying to say. Is he saying repentance isn't needed, or it just doesn't specifically say it in that verse? Because I think, it, is it Matthew 5, like one of the first things? It's like, yeah. it's, it's like, and Jesus began his ministry, and Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. Yeah, exactly. And the gospel, that's my point. The gospel is attached to the mystery of how one gets into the kingdom, which is, again, my reference back to the Garden of Eden, because that's the mystery. The mystery is not, you know, who Jesus is. It's how we get into the kingdom via Jesus. That's the key to understanding it all. And it is via the gospel message that spreads via repentance. So I don't know. I don't know what this person's saying. Are they? What's the matter? Well, yeah, let us know if we can 
clear up any confusion. But yeah, I mean, if you're if you're saying like you know the word repent is not when he's talking to Nicodemus, then yeah, I, I don't I don't believe the word repent is in there. Um, but to say that you don't have to repent, uh, you know, be on God's cool side, I say that's completely wrong because you know I mean the New Testament you know, it's a pretty good sized collection of books, so it's it's important to read all of it and take it all, um, you know, as it's written. And in, in that case, so like, how does someone be okay in God's book? Well, repentance is a definite part of that. Yeah, I mean, that's the basis for Deuteronomy 30 is repentance that the new covenant is built upon. Like Jeremiah 31. So as a prophet, a prophet would not be able to make up his own theology. So here you have Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, preaching to Israel, Judah, etc. about a new covenant. Well, where's the new covenant found in the Torah? Because if he preaches something that's not found in the Torah, then he would be classified, according to Deuteronomy 18, as a false prophet. But he's not classified as a false prophet because he's rightly teaching about what Deuteronomy 30 is discussing. And Deuteronomy 30 is the basis for the new covenant that then the rest of the Hebrew Bible discusses, that then the New Testament Bible picks up on. So what is it that's not too hard for us, according to Deuteronomy 30? It is to do repentance in faith, knowing that now that you've repented, God is going to be faithful to his promise. That's the basis for it. So in saying that repentance isn't needed or isn't hinted at with this, I, I think... I'm not understanding. So it says I've been studying the Gospels a lot lately. Late, excuse me, lately, and I've noticed that Jesus' message of repentance seems to be absent in the teachings of Jesus. Um, so I think people focus too much, in my humble opinion, on what Matt, uh, Matthew, Mark, John. Oh, they're not teaching this. They're not teaching that. They're teaching the same thing. Their focus can be on something that it's the same subject but a different angle. Right, Mark seems to indicate that Jesus is called the Son of Man, and Matthew seems to be very Jewish in its mindset. It's still focusing on the Gospels, just hitting on different aspects or angles of the Gospel. But it doesn't mean that John is not speaking to repentance. Right In the book of John is where we get the idea of repentance with regards to what uh, Isaiah 59 discusses, which is salvation. Hold on, my children need me. And there's also like, um, well, yeah, in John 3, you know, it talks about, um, you know, being born again. But then John 8, 11, I mean, if this isn't kind of like repentance, then what is? Like Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? No one's condemned you? Uh, no one, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Um, I mean, that's that's basically... Uh, tell me repentance without saying the word repentance. Well, sin no more. Like, so if you're sinning, repentance means go the other direction. So if she's sinning and he says sin no more, that means turn around and go the other direction. That, that's the definition of repentance. But also I think like sometimes th that's what we're saying, right? Like when people will say, well, hey, Acts may not say this thing. So um, you only find that in the book of James or, or something like that. So it's like, well, if the other gospels focus on repentance, but John doesn't focus on repentance, um, does that mean I don't need to do repentance? Well, no, that goes back to the point I just said, where it's like, well, you know, the New Testament has a lot of content, and all of it is we believe the Word of God, so pay attention to all of the content. So, uh, you know, for example, like 
just hypothesize with me. That would be like, you know, the disciples are thinking like, okay, we're going to have us or, you know, maybe our apprentice, um, you know, pin down what we say, pin down these words of Christ. So who wants to talk about repentance? And Matthew's like, yeah, yeah, I got repentance. Um, he's like, who's going to talk about faith? It's like, okay, John, you talk about faith. You talk about belief. Like, who's going to get the deity of Christ? Uh, John, you get the deity of Christ. So it's like, you know, if we were to say like, well, John didn't talk about repentance, so it's not that important. It's like, well, well, no, for all we know, like, you know, this could have been inspired by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, the, these people are like, okay, we have all this knowledge of Jesus. We have all this stuff that, you know, we need to pin down. So um, if we all talk about repentance, then we're just saying the same things. So at some point, unless we want a book that's 400 pages of exactly the same stuff, um, or, you know, the Holy Spirit could have just done this, right? Like, so however it came to be, uh, you know, if God's like, okay, we're going to have, you know, uh, the letter of, of the book of James talk about this subject. And, you know, we're going to have Paul talk about uh, Galatians in contrast to the law and call that the law of sin and death. Um, while in Romans, we're not going to focus so hard on the law for Gentiles. We're going to, or, or for uh, Jews, we're going to focus on Gentiles. So again, this is why we believe um, it's all valid. It's all a complete work. So we need to take all of it. Um, don't know if that helps, but I think that's yeah. a pretty yeah, good way to look at it. Yeah, you often hear this from skeptics, though. Um, so they start putting out like articles where, oh, this isn't covered in the book of Matthew or this is not covered in John or Paul didn't care anything about the virgin birth of Christ. Notice he never mentions it. I'm like, are you, are you missing the point of what Paul is trying? No, of course he doesn't care about that. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about the important matters of how one is saved, right? And then they say something like, well, Matthew does this. And it's because it, it's pointless to separate the Bible in such a way. But that's what I think the point in skeptical criticism. And yeah, I mean, it would be easier if you wanted to talk. Um, oh, gosh, there's a lot of stuff. Her, uh, him and Steph are talking. Okay, let's see. I've been studying the gospel. Okay. Uh, the message of John the Baptist doesn't either speak of repentance according to John's record in his gospel. Well, I mean, some of the stuff John the Baptist says, I mean, you'll find it in different gospels like Matthew 3, 8. He says, John the Baptist says, therefore produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Luke 3, 3. John went throughout uh, the whole region uh, of the Jordan River preaching baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Um, let's see, Mark 1, 4. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Um, so, I mean. Yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier. Um when he's basically literally preparing the way for the Lord. And that would be like, yeah, and that's also like, um, you know, it, you, and that's, that's weird to get like repentance um, for this topic, but it's good because it doesn't come up a lot. So thanks for that. But um, usually people say, well, why does John focus so heavily, heavily on the deity of Christ? Like that's usually where this come from, comes from. And it's like, well, why don't these other gospels focus on the deity of Christ so much? Well, because they're dealing with like, you know, the sermons, like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew and like these other things and parables that Jesus is talking about. So it's like, okay, well, the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, I'm going to impress on John to really hit the deity of Christ very heavily. So, you know, the book of Matthew can deal with other issues. It just makes sense that if, you, if you're God and you're disseminating the information to different people, uh, you're not going to have them say all the same thing. Yeah, I mean, right, it'd be pointless. It, you'd be repeating the same thing over and over and over again. What What's the point in that? It, it's kind of like when the New Testament quotes from the Old Testament but it needs to explain it. Why would it quote it verbatim? It wouldn't. It would quote it, 
stop and then start to explain it. And that's what you often see happening. So yeah, for sure. Unless you just want a New Testament Bible repeating the same thing four or five times, I, I think it's silly to to assume that it should. Also, I, I tend to notice that the New Testament picks up on different aspects of the duties of the Messiah in the Old Testament, which you typically find in the prophets. So that's another reason why I think John focuses more heavily on specific things than than Matthew and Mark, etc. I could just chime in on Oh, uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I think part of the confusion is I think when we talk about these repentance necessary for salvation, are we talking about justification when we're a person believes in Christ and they're justified? So all their sins, past, present, and future, forgiven, and now they, they're justified before God. Now, then, you know, afterwards, we're, you know, to live a life of repentance towards God, repenting of sins. So I think one question is, do you think it's necessary for a sinner, let's say a person's unsaved, for them to not only to believe in Christ, but they've got to turn away from all their sins in order to be justified? Does that make no, sense, Nate? I don't. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Nate. Uh, well, if we're talking about like repent, like when Jesus says go and sin no more, do we think that woman like lived the rest of her life without sinning at all? I mean, maybe she got hit by a bus like immediately after, but no, is assuming she lived the rest of her life. Um, like she probably like told a lie or something or said her husband wasn't fat or known to do good and didn't do it. So that doesn't mean like if you know if you repent, you're only truly saved if you now never sin again. Like that would be like sinless perfection, which is wildly heretical. Uh, but it's like living a life of repentance. Like that phrase, like uh, uh, living a life of repentance. I, I forget where in the Bible it is. But I'm sure it's in there. But it's like you know you have your heart bent towards God. So like of course you're still going to wrestle with sin. You're still going to do sins intentionally or unintentionally. But the point is, you know, you have this life of repentance, this like heart of David. Uh, like, you know, after David repented, he's still like, you know, as a man after God's own heart, how his heart was like, or even Paul, like these things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I do, I don't want to do. Um, but still, no one's going to say Paul didn't have like a heart of repentance. Um, so even when we do mess up, like John says, we have an advocate with the father and that's Jesus. Um, so, yes, mm -hmm. we're, we're going to sin. We're not going to be perfect, but that's what I would say. Um, okay. What was... so I, I got you, and I agree with that, Nate. So you, you would say that it, repentance is not necessary for justification. Does that make sense? Not Just really. Okay, I agree. Well, I don't, I don't really uh, understand what you're well, – Well, my point is that ju justification – it's like when I became a believer, I believe in Christ. There were sins in my life, and it's not like at that time I was willing to just part with all my sin. I believe in Jesus Christ, all of my sins, past, present, and future forgiven. I was born again, and I'm eternally secure. However, as a result of my new birth, I began to have a sensitivity towards sin and so forth. But my point is that it, repenting of all my sin is not necessary to be justified before God. So that, that, my, yeah. my follow-up question would be, and I, I'm hearing you and I'm agreeing, but I'm also wanting to preface what I'm about to say with a question. Um, what does it mean for you to, quote, believe in Jesus? Like, what does that look like tangibly to you? Belief in Jesus regarding the uh, forgiveness of sins, it means that I have a debt that needs to be paid. Well, and I cannot pay that debt. Jesus Christ died for sinners, and my belief in Jesus is trusting in his person and his work on the cross that it that was sufficient to pay for all my sins. 
I've believed in Jesus Christ and I am now justified before God, that I'm innocent before the law. I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ and I'm innocent before God's law and I'm free from the penalty of sin. That's part of what it means to trust mm-hmm. Jesus Christ regarding the atonement. Yeah, so the moment you mm-hmm. were saved, you absolutely believed without a shadow of a doubt that all the things for which you had done had been covered now. You, if that, that, in mm-hmm. that moment, if you passed, that you would stand before your creator blameless and completely free. Okay, gotcha. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think then you're just talking about sanctification and how you're now realizing the gravity of what gift you've just been given. And you're like, wow, okay, this is an amazing gift. I need to live for God, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because that's something that can get a little confusing when we talk about salvation. Is repentance necessary? Okay, necessary for what? It's, I think it's necessary to, to please God. It's not to secure my standing before God as if like, okay, if I stop... I stop repenting, God's going to cast me away from him, and I'm going to go to hell. No, no, it's about, but I will grieve God as my heavenly father if I, if I live a life of sin. I'm not repenting of certain sins. It, it affects the relationship. It creates tension in the relationship. God is still my father. He's not going to you know, cast me away from him, but it causes tension in the relationship. And repentance, a confession of sin, God is faithful and just to forgive me, forgive us as a, as a father. There's, you know, there's judicial forgiveness and there's familiar forgiveness. We can talk about that, but that's my thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah so, so process. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to see if Steph wanted to weigh in on any of this, too. Unless she's shoveling snow for the bills or something. <laughs> I'm not, but I also wasn't listening. I'm sorry. Get out. Go ahead, Gordon. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, when in Luke 10, when Jesus was asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He replied, um, what is written in the law, right? How do you read it? Right. So he wants to know how a person reads something. And, that, and that's kind of why I'm asking, how are you understanding salvation? How are you understanding repentance? And what does it mean to be saved to you? Um, and then he said, the, the teacher of the law, the expert says, uh, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So the question then becomes, okay, love my neighbor, but uh, Jesus, who is my neighbor? In other words, I don't really want to love everyone. I just really want to love my neighbor. And if my neighbor is like my mom, easy, I can do that, (laughs) right? In reply, Jesus said a man uh, was going down from Jerusalem. Oh, and then he goes into with regards to, uh, being robbers stripped of his clothes and what happened, blah, blah, blah. But the point that I'm getting at is Jesus seems to indicate that there's an action. If you're here to live that long. Now, if we take the stark contrast of the story, Jesus is on the stake, uh, in between two who did need to be on the stake. He looks over and he says, remember me as you come into your kingdom. And he says, yeah, it's done, right? Jesus tells this person, it will be so. But this person did not have a chance to then go out and express how grateful he is for the gift of salvation via that belief that Jesus has covered them. So I guess my next question is, do you feel like there's anything that is thus then required of you after you accept this gift of salvation? 
There's nothing required of me to maintain my justification. Nothing at all. I can go out right now and commit murder. I'm still going to go to heaven. That will not affect my standing before God at all. Now, of course, that's wrong. That's sin. Mm-hmm. And God, I deserve to be put to death if I do that. I'm, I'm giving that as a hypothetical. I don't have to work at my justification. It is done. I'm just. There's nothing required of me at all. For justification, that is make that clear. Justification. However, in terms of sanctification, my responsibility to yield to the Spirit, if I want to please God as my Heavenly Father, I have to live a life of repentance and seek to yield to the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh, and so forth. But justification is nothing that's required of me. That's all done. Yeah, I don't think yeah, that no, you can add well, to anything Christ already did. That wasn't really yeah. my question. Well, yeah, and as, as evidenced by, you know, he, if Edron was like, you know, a bloodthirsty maniac before, it's like, well, you know, I can go out and, you know, kill people and still go to heaven. They're like, well, why didn't you do it? Why didn't you do it? Well, because I, I genuinely, genuinely don't want to. So if you did before and you don't want to, I mean, that, that's evidence that, you know, you are growing more and more in Christ because, like, you know, the things you used to do. And Paul says such a... Such were some of you, like robbers, stealers, all this other stuff. He's like, don't be that person now. He's like, you know, work hard so you can, you know, give to those. So it's like, well, if you used to, you know, lie and cheat and steal all the time, it's like, but now you're in Christ. It's like, well, you could still do those things, but you legitimately don't want to. And let me just clear something else from chat real fast. Um, other topic real quick. Uh, Israel says, I'm also curious why Paul doesn't speak much of repentance, even though it's one of the central teachings of Jesus. I mean... I don't want to be insulting, but I mean, have you just read much of what Paul says? Um, like, I got a couple of verses, but I mean, if you really read like the whole context, like he hammers it really hard. So Acts twenty twenty one, I preach repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Romans 2, 4, or do you despise the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Second uh, Corinthians 7, 9 and 10. Now, I'm glad. Uh, not because you were made sorry. And this is on the heels of him like hammering people who are like in the church in Corinth and in like steeped in sin. And he like hammers them until they're covering themselves with like sackcloth and ash and like freaking out. Um, and he says, now I'm glad, not because you were made sorry. Um, read Corinthians for the rest of that. He made them really sorry. But because your sorrow led to repentance for you became sorrowful as God intended. And so were not harmed in any way by us. But godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the Bible's full of repentance, but uh, just a segue for a minute. But yeah, back to you, Courtney. Yeah, I was just going to ask how um, he feels about Hebrews um, 10, 26, I believe it is, 10, 26. Um, is that for Ed if, or Israel? Uh, both anybody it's for the panel um if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of god notice the stark contrast there is you've become an enemy of god at what point do you think a person is an enemy of god and could you address hebrews ten twenty six? Yeah, I believe the judgment that's in view in Hebrews uh, 10, it's referring to the judgment of AD 70. The writer is writing Jewish believers, and they were tempted to forsake um, Christ, to go back to a crisis Judaism to escape persecution. But if they, if they did that, 
they wouldn't lose their salvation. They would be subject to the judgment of AD 70. So it's not talking about losing your salvation. It's talking because the, the examples that the writer gives in Hebrews, he cites the Old Testament, various judgments that came upon the nation of Israel uh, for their sin. It's talking about temporal judgment. It's not talking about eternal death, my understanding of it. Yeah, it's, so it's, one, mm-hmm, go ahead. Yeah, so one of the, the references that he gives is actually in Jeremiah 31, which is about the new covenant, right? Um, that's what we see in verse 17. Their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. That's a reference to Jeremiah 31, which is the new covenant, which would not have anything to do with AD, 70 AD, with the destruction of the temple. So you think the, ju- the judgment that is in view in Hebrews 10 is referring to what? No, I'm asking you what you think it is, because 18 okay. says, and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So what he's saying is, if you have been forgiven, your conscience has been cleared, there is no sacrifice for you anymore because your conscience is clear. There's no sin, therefore there's no need for a sacrifice. But then it continues and says, therefore, brothers and sisters, notice it's appealing to believers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up through us. So it seems to be that has nothing to do with the physical aspect of the temple. What do you think? Well, so, so you don't think that the judgment that's referring to, so, okay, so you're saying it's not referring to the judgment 87, because that, my understanding, that there was a national sin that was committed by the Jews. We read in the book of Matthew, when they attributed the works of Jesus to the devil, right? That was the unpardonable sin. Now, this that was an unpardonable sin. That is a national sin that secured the judgment on the nation of Israel. However, there was no, that would not be forgiven. It had to be punished by God. It doesn't mean those Jews could have repented because some of the Pharisees did believe in Jesus Christ, and they were saved. It was a national sin, the unpardonable sin. So that's my understanding. Again, he's writing Jewish believers but you would, they would still be subject to that destruction of AD 70 if they forsook Christ and went back to a Christless Judaism. It's not talking about salvation. I don't believe it is. It's referring to yeah. loss of salvation. But I, I think we might differ on that. But um, Yeah, I, I think we will, only because I don't really think that having blood guilt, which is what you're referencing in the Torah, it's blood guilt when they, they basically, um, one, they say the blood of Jesus is on their hands. That's blood guilt. It's mentioned in the Torah, and then also whenever they speak exactly of the example that you just gave with regards to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which in and of itself, I've done studies on this and have a video on this where it's representing the middle ground between Judaism and Christianity. And what is that? That's the rejection of Christ. It has nothing to do with, oh, I don't believe that there's the Holy Spirit that's working. A lot of people think, could I blaspheme the Holy Spirit by not knowing if it, that has nothing. It's basically the essence is this. They are rejecting the one that God sent, i.e. the Messiah who is doing these miracles by the Holy Spirit, of course. Um, so it's still the same answer. The answer is you lose salvation or you don't have salvation if you reject your Redeemer, which is Christ. And that's what is happening. But I don't think that's what is being spoken to in Hebrews 10, because again, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, the one who rejected Christ are not called brothers and sisters. What is the, can you cite the passage in Hebrews 10? Uh, Yeah, Hebrews 10. Mm -hmm. um, If we start, because you made mention to the references that they 
call back to in the Old Testament. You start at verse 17 and want to work down to, I guess, 31. But 26 is the one that says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. There's like three Mm -hmm. things I think we need to break down there to kind of understand the passage. Okay. Yeah, I would tend to believe it's referring to 87. That's the judgment. If they don't, that was why. And also, we, uh, the first Peter passage, we talked about uh, baptism. Again, Peter was also written to uh, believing Jews. It wasn't written to the church. It was written to Jews that were scattered abroad. First of oh, them, sojourners. I see our yeah. difference here. I, I yeah. see our difference here. Because you're saying mm-hmm. believers that are Jews are not the church. I would fundamentally disagree. Uh, but okay, I see. No, they, there's the Israel. The New Testament, there's the Israel of God, those are believing Jews, and there's the church, entails both Jew and Gentiles, but the, Paul does make a distinction, also Peter, between, there's like, the, the Israel of God is like a subset of the church. Yeah, but see, that's what I'm saying, I, that's where you and I are going to disagree, because okay. the ones the ones for which, like, Paul harkens back to in the book of Romans, chapter 9, 10, and 11, he's talking about, like, they're loved on account of the patriarch, for sure, but that doesn't mean that it, based based on what you just said that Hebrews 10:19 is speaking of believing Jews that then return back to their Christless Judaism. I, I, I well, so, so you don't think there would be they would be subject to that. So if a, if a believing Jew went back to you know they didn't want to profess Christ, they want to go back to a Christless Judaism, they're doing it to escape persecution. I think Paul deals with this in Hebrews. Yeah, where is this saying that though? Where where in what? Hebrews ten does it say that they've returned to a Christless Judaism? I'm, I'm well, not. I think no, you're that phrase that is that, that yeah that, that phrase isn't there. Oh, okay. Looking at Hebrews as a whole, they're they're doing it to escape pers- persecution. You, you don't agree with that? No, not at all. That's what I'm saying. I I okay. disagree. Yeah, I, I'm not seeing where Hebrews ten specifically can be read and instantly you go, oh, this is about the destruction of the temple, 70 AD. I don't, I don't see that at all. Well, Absolutely. maybe not instantly. I mean, there's just a lot more or progressively, it. you know, it's been a while since I've studied, but I'm, I'm saying that is something that was the judgment that had to come upon, upon the nation of Israel because of the rejection of Christ as King. We see it in Matthew. It was an unpardonable mm-hmm. sin that secured. There was no forgiveness. That sin had to happen. Even yeah, if but- all those, yeah, go ahead. No, see, see, this is where I think we we de- depart, like, at our basic understanding here. This is the the destruction of the temple was going to come anyway. We know this because in the prophet Ezekiel, it discusses in chapter forty through forty eight, very literally discusses another temple. Very literally discusses it, and so now. This is problematic for your theological position if you're saying that the reason the temple was destroyed was because Christ, because we don't need a temple anymore. That's the point, and I understand what you're, the essence of what you're saying, but I don't think you understand what the essence of the temple is. The temple is not for uh, cleansing of the conscience. That's never, that's a point in the book of Hebrews. It could never, animal sacrifices could never cleanse your conscience. However, to draw near unto a holy God, meaning to come near his presence, you would have to have things that would cover that because you're in a flesh suit, i.e. skin, blood, bones, etc. Thus, my point in saying we overlook the resurrection and the importance of it. 
so that we can stand in the physical presence of a God who cannot be in the presence of sin. So for me, I see where the issue is because I believe there will be another temple, but it's not to mm-hmm. cleanse the conscience. It's to draw near to yeah. those who are still in the flesh. And, well, yeah, go ahead. Just to address uh, Ezekiel 40, 48, I believe yeah, that is a literal temple and that will be in the messianic reign. And there will be animal sacrifices there as well. And that will be done oh, okay. uh, they, they will for theocratic forgiveness. But yeah, I do believe in a physical temple going to be okay. uh, rebuilt. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha, so. gotcha. Okay, we okay. might not be too far off then, I guess. I'm sorry. I, I and for everyone oh, yeah, else are... that wonders what the heck is going on, just repent and believe the gospel. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, no, I, I just assumed based on that, uh, that you were thinking that the destruction of the temple is punishment for them not believing in Christ. Um, I mean, Hosea 3 discusses this very time that they are in. So from the before the destruction of the temple to where we're at now, the prophet Hosea spoke about this, that they're going to be, the children of Israel are going to be for many days without sacrifice and temple, etc. And I think that is important in light of Christ. But when you think about it and you say, oh, the temple is destroyed because of Christ. Well, then why do we have a, another temple? And some people call it the third temple. I mean, whatever. Um, why do we have another temple being built? Right. If, 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 you have Christ who cannot, you know, you can't believe in Christ and also have a temple, then I think that is problematic. And so a lot of people just go, oh, no, Ezekiel's just uh, uh, metaphorical. And I'm like, mm, I'm sorry, I can't jive with that because it's eight chapters of mm-hmm. intricate details about. I agree. The, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And those Lots of people don't think that. Though. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I used to be one of those people long ago, but that's an actual temple. And the, one of the problems that people have with that, they think, oh, there's animal sacrifices that can't be literal. They think that contradicts Hebrews. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. Those sacrifices are for theocratic forgiveness, just as they were in the Old, the old Testament, the Old Covenant. Uh, they're done to, you know, it's, it's a little, you know, confusing. But the, 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 the sacrifices that were done in the Old Covenant, they were for the forgiveness of sin, to atone for sin. But it wasn't to make a person right with God. That's what the right of Hebrews is addressing. It wasn't to secure your standing, make you eternally secure. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's the basis. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't understand there's actually a theological difference between atonement and forgiveness. In the Hebrew, we read. Oh, she got a call. Let's see if we're more important than the caller. So my brain is turning to mush. Um, Gosh, I want to call on Steph, but she's like, I wasn't listening. What? What's going on? Where am I? <laughs> oh, or just com- completely ignored. <laughs> Was that someone selling you car insurance, Courtney? No, I had HVAC guys coming over. <laughs> They've uh, been working on this for like a week. Um, Yeah, I would agree with what you said. Um, And the reason why I think a lot of people don't understand there's a difference between forgiveness and atonement is because they don't study the Old Testament very well. Um, And now, granted, I've spoken to Jews that don't even know the difference, and that's unfortunate. But what is key here is that you can have atonement without forgiveness, but you can't have forgiveness without atonement. So the atonement has to come first, and then that could bring forth forgiveness depending on the types of atonement. But you can bring like the temple coin, which is for atonement, but it doesn't bring any sort of forgiveness because 
these, the, this is the breakdown in the sacrificial law and specific sacrifices are for specific things. And so for sure, I agree with you. You can have a temple and you can have Christ. And in the Old Testament, there were animals that brought forgiveness, but it was all, it was very temporal. It never cleansed your conscience. Like you could literally bring your offering, thank you, you're forgiven, walk away, lust after another man's wife, and boom, you're now in need of another offering at the appointed time. So these are the the things where you would then have no conscience that's clear to stand before your holy God. Difference, absolutely. And hey, Sholise, welcome. It's been way too long. What's up? And uh, let's see, Israel says, which verse in the Old Testament says that there is no forgiveness without atonement? If which, anyone wants... Which what? Um, Israel says, which verse in the Old Testament says there is no forgiveness without atonement? There's no forgiveness without atonement. Okay, so the concept is found in Leviticus 1 all the way through the end 7, roughly. You would have to study out very specifically that says, I have given the blood of animals as atonement for you. And in that, you see when the blood is placed where it's supposed to go and the priest does his duty, then salach or forgiveness comes. You cannot have forgiveness first. That's just not how it works. So you'd have to know the intricate details of the way the sacrificial system works. And if you'd like to view this, I have a video on it. And for the record, it's not Old Testament, but Jesus says in the New Testament, which kind of coincides, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Right. You can, have, you can have atonement, like, and that's what I'm saying. You can have atonement where there is no shedding of blood. Right? You can bring the temple coin, Exodus 30, the temple coin. They would bring that, and it quite literally says it's for atonement, to cover. But nothing was shed. There was no shedding of blood. Therefore, there's no forgiveness, life for life. That's the point of what Leviticus is telling you, and that's why you're forbidden to eat the blood or in that chapter. So I'm not sure if I answered the question or not. Oh, Chris is back. Um, did you get the... Mm -hmm. Memory installed? No, it's like one of five projects I've got to do here. Right now, uh, doing a new install and fixing Dropbox and fixing Excel on three different computers. If you want me to run down on my work order list. <laughs> uh, let's see, did that answer everyone's... Questions? Yeah. Uh, says, what was the question? Oh no, we, it's something we've been talking about for forty minutes. <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess if there's nothing else, we can get back to it. Uh, what, yeah, really fast. I just wanted to read the whole of uh, nine twenty-two. It says, "And by the law, almost let's underscore that word. Almost all things are purged with blood." Almost. So this indicates that there are things that are purged without blood, i.e. the temple coin of Exodus 30. And then it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That word remission is forgiveness, right? And it's not atonement. So it doesn't say without the shedding of blood, there's no atonement because that would be false. It says without the shedding of blood, there's no 
remission, forgiveness, pardon, etc. Which means atonement he... is forgiveness. That's no. silly. No, it's not. Exodus thirty. But you're also a crazy heretic. Why do we care? Oh, okay. good lord. I mean, <laughs> okay. Hang I mean, on. I could. So I can prove on. my point. So, but okay. So talk about whatever you want, but uh, do it nicely. Just play nice. For example, if I think someone is going to hell because they're a raging heretic, instead of saying, you're going to be Satan's blah, blah, blah for eternity, evil demon, I'll be like, I think in your current state, you're going to burn forever in the lake of fire, and I don't want that for you, so repent, please. So follow that example. So say whatever you want, but say it nicely. Let's see how long we can play that game. Okay. Um, we have on the table, I guess, atonement is not exactly the same as forgiveness versus it is exactly the same as forgiveness and someone's just called someone a crazy heretic pick your poison or a completely different topic which i'm perfectly happy to okay uh can i respond to something courtney said earlier sure yeah uh courtney about the uh i just want to share a passage from hebrews 10 um when I was talking about there was a temptation of these Jewish believers to go back to a Christless Judaism, one of the texts I believe alludes to this is Hebrews 10, uh, verse 23, where the writer says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Um, and I'll, I think one of the things he's alluding to there is they were to cling to their profession of belief in Jesus Christ because there was a temptation to not hold fast, to go back to something else. What, what would that something else be? Something that would allow them to escape uh, persecution, which would be the Christless Judaism. So no, it doesn't say Christless Judaism, but I think the call to hold fast to the profession uh, alludes to, presupposes there was a temptation to forsake it, to, I think, to escape um, um, persecution. Yeah, so. I hear, yeah, I hear okay. you. Um, mm -hmm. I would say um, if we keep reading, it kind of gives you the context, right? Let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, right? I think what seems to be in light there is the inclination towards going back towards a sinful life because it's easier to live a sinful life than it is to live a faithful life. Yeah, no, that's not what that means, but nice try. Okay. Would you like to refute me rather than just saying it's not because I'm not seeing any. I don't have time worth... right now. Okay. Well, yeah, and he never you? does, so don't get your hopes up. Yeah, I know. He has a habit. Let's of see. It's been about an hour, the hour and 48 minutes of, of Kumbaya. All right. That's that's the one to beat. Hour and 48 minutes. Everyone was getting along. Well, Connie says uh, apologists are not evangelists. Uh, let's see. Um, is that one of the um, all evan... Uh, yeah, I guess that wouldn't work. Um, but they can be, I guess. But I mean, I, I, how far do we refute, or how far do we drill that down, like to official titles, like I am an apologist, um, and have like a desk placard and everything? Because um, I mean, apologetics is just a defense of the faith. So I mean, inherently, unless you're like John the Baptist, it's just like repent and believe, repent and believe, um, you know, repent, um, and never answer a question. I guess to some degree, you would be an apologist. Um, unless you're talking about like a job description, like my, my description is to refute people and give a defense for my faith. Um, anyway, that's interesting. Anyone care about that? Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, I think, I think it just comes down to 
just like with Matthew, Mark, Luke, Paul, all speaking towards different aspects of the gospel. I think you have eyes, nose, ears, feet, hands, different parts of the body. Mac says he's an apologist. For what, Mac? That's news to me. <laughs> I feel like I'm a Chris apologist. <laughs> yep. I mean, I'm a most people apologist. Like, you know, I'm like, okay, well, look, if they, if they, I don't know, if they didn't do whatever the thing is, uh, that they're doing, can you see this point that person is trying to make? Like, oh, okay, okay. Like, hey, if they did this more, then could you see the point they're trying to make? Blessed are the peacemakers? I don't know. I give it a shot. I guess there's some people I can't make peace with, but... Just to touch on something else that, uh, uh, Courtney, you were saying... Uh, the reason why I think Christ, a crisis Judaism is in is in view because you know one of the themes of Hebrews is to show the superiority of Christ over, for example, Moses over the Aaronic uh, uh, priesthood over the angels. So, and he's or for example, not the uh, the blood of Jesus is what cleanses, uh, makes us right with God. So he, he's com comparing Christ, a superiority Christ, to a, a Judaism without Christ. Would you agree with that? One of the things that we see in Hebrews. Yeah, for sure. That's, okay. that's kind of my point in making the mention that Hebrews is telling you that uh, animals, the blood of animals, could never cleanse the conscience of a believer, which is why you and I both acknowledge that you can have uh, the temple, uh, Ezekiel's temple, be built, and it's not antithetical to Christ. It's not like, oh, what do I do in this situation? Yeah, I mean, the only... Well, when I mentioned uh, theocratic forgiveness, I, that's a term. I didn't make that term up. Um, it seems like there was a debt that was owed to, you could say, um, you know, because I think it's because God was, his, his Shekinah glory was in the temple. God was ruling over Israel directly. There was a debt that people owed for their sin. That it wasn't to secure their standing before God. It was like a, it, it's kind of like, I, I like the, the analogy of, let's say, if a Christian commits a sin, Right. If I commit the, an act of murder, uh, I deserve to be punished. Right. There's a debt that I owe to society. It doesn't make me right with God, but there's a debt that I owe to that society. Whatever I, I commit a crime, just because I'm forgiven by God as a judge doesn't mean I owe it. I don't owe a debt to society. So do you think like in the, in the Jewish theocracy that when someone sinned, the sins need to be like a, a covered by there was like a a theocratic forgiveness that was owed to like that society. I don't know, I'm trying to think of the word to use. Is it because God was reigning over them directly? They had the Shekinah glory. It's it's God's part of God's program that that had to be forgiven, but it's not doesn't secure your eternal state. It just secures. Yeah, that's what I was saying with <laughs> yeah, the ability. Right, right. That's what I was saying with the ability because they were living in and around the temple, his holy temple. There had to be something that covered them so that they could come in and around the temple. Like you just said, um, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure where we, where we disagree here on this. I don't that's think okay. it's okay. It's a, it's a I find it a complicated issue. This is not, I, I struggle with this, so I know this is some complicated 
I sometimes have a hard time articulating what I'm trying to say, but no, okay, no, that's fine. Okay, so let's see. What next? So what's wrong with your HVAC system? Oh, nothing's wrong. We had, well, initially we had the, um, the whole thing redone and there were code violations after. And so the board got involved and now they're having to fix all of those violations. Chris, you have time to be in the chat, but you don't have time to, you know, express your vast amount of knowledge and open the minds of those listening. So, do you know why he calls you a Hebrew root heretic? Yeah, I guess you guys I'm, have I'm talked before. Observant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh, yes. Uh, I, I'm a Torah observant Christian. I've never, I've never hid that. So, um, yeah. So he he's got a he's he's big mad about that. Big big mad. So like you follow like the the six hundred thirteen commandments or? I keep as many of the commandments as I can. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good practice to constantly be a better person tomorrow so like, and the next day than you were the day before. So you do that like, um, cause it's a good idea or to please God or like for your eternal salvation. No, definitely not for eternal salvation. Just Absolutely then, not. Cause you think that's like, uh, earns favor with God or you just think it's a good idea or like a pretty good track for a good life. Yeah. I think, it, I think was if, as I was telling, um, Edwin, uh, five minutes ago or whatever, with regards to many of these are for Israel in and around the temple. They cannot apply outside, but you can still apply them to your life. Like, for example, if you wanted to do what they call this, this Shemitah year, which is the year when the ground has its Sabbath and its rest, that is technically for the land of Israel. But if you want to apply that to your garden in your yard, because it's good regenerative practice, great, wonderful. It's not and, forced on you, but it's a good so, practice. So I think what's good for Israel is good for others as well. And so like you, you kind of just like, I, I guess as a, I don't guess you're an Israelite, um, as a Gentile, um, you try to keep even the ones that like Gentiles who wanted to, you know, be sojourners or like live around the Israelites back in the day, like even the ones that the Jewish people didn't tell them that they had to keep because they were Gentiles. Um, you would keep those two for the reason which, you just said, like it's a good idea. It can't hurt anything. Yeah. Which ones specifically are you addressing? I don't know specifically, but I know out of the 613, like if you were like a sojourner around mm -hmm. them and you weren't an Israelite, there was like a short list of things you had to keep. Like, you know, don't cheat, don't lie, don't murder, things like that. But you mm -hmm. certainly weren't bound by nearly as many as the actual Israelites. Well, so the word, Sojourner is often the English word that is represented by the Hebrew word ger. And a ger, especially in Exodus 12, at the time of Passover, this ger is allowed to partake of Passover. But the necher and the toshav, the other types of people that are living in and around uh, Israel, were not. So there's specific types of 
people, right? This is why the New Testament speaks of like the God-fearers. And then Isaiah 56 speaks of those who bind themselves to the Lord and they go by specific names. Yeah, for sure. But that's why I would have to ask, what specifically are you talking about? But I keep all that I can that apply to me, etc. So, yeah, how, I'm curious. I am, that makes sense to Courtney, but I'm wondering why someone would say you're a heretic. There's nothing wrong with that. If you, like, for example, I believe. <laughs> Consider I the source. <laughs> what, what I'm saying is, I, I for example, um, I don't believe in eating pork. And I think there's wisdom in not eating pork. Swine are filthy animals. Eating shellfish. That's not what this is about. She rejects penal substitutionary atonement. Oh, okay. What? All right. Holy cow. Okay. Hold wait, up. Hold I on. Wait, wait, that's wait, 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 wait. Don't he literally I just said, I reject PSA. Hold on. Yeah, is this room on replay? It. No, I don't. have to. I literally hey, hey, have hey, hang to. Wait, 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 hang on. Wait, wait, hang on. There's, there's Courtney and Steph. Hang on. Before we start. love is not true. But, okay, so before we start, this is very simple. Okay, hang on. I'm going to, I'm going to. Courtney, let me help everyone. Okay. Ignorant I'll people are of me. To the uh, no, no, stay here, Chris. Continue to Wait, stay. Wait, oh. hold on. I'm speaking now. Good Lord. I'm trying to help everyone. This is so simple. Sorry, Nate. He just said you reject penal substitutionary atonement, and everyone went crazy. Okay, before anyone else talks, Courtney, in a word, would you say that is true or false? Big false, especially okay, so in light. Hold on, please, please. Especially in okay, light of Courtney, the fact that I have a debate. I have a debate where I am actively arguing against people that reject PSA. Like, and I have a debate, I, I have a debate on it. And then I interviewed a renowned scholar, Dr. William Lang Craig on penal substitutionary atonement. It could not be any more clear that oh, Chris doesn't know what I believe. Chris and doesn't yet, think William Lang Craig is a Christian. Well, yeah, uh, Steph, of course he wouldn't. To, what did Steph want to uh, say now? Oh, crap. Give me just a second. I'm brushing my teeth. <laughs> uh, you should yeah. talk while you're brushing your teeth. Yeah, okay. Hold on. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm actively arguing against Sean Griffin in a debate five months ago that I just had. This is so silly. All right, Courtney, here's the thing. Um, when you run into somebody who is so blinded by arrogance and pride and they have this like thing in their eye like the telephone pole situation you can either acknowledge it and defend yourself until you're exhausted and then they get their they get their kick out of it and you're tired or you can just ignore it but i do have a question for you so what do you do with and i'm following you i don't think i know anyone else like you who's like a i've never heard torah observant christian but i find it really interesting um what do you do when Paul talks about how the, I mean, first of all, are you ethnically Jewish? No, I was raised Christian. I mean, I do have some Jewishness on my mom's side, but I was absolutely raised Christian my entire life. When you, um, when you observe Torah, are you considering yourself at all like blood connected or is this strictly a no. spiritual connection? Okay. No, absolutely. Just a messianic in faith. Okay, got it. So then what do you do with when Paul says that, um, for example, a, a Gentile should not be circumcised, even though the Jew should, and if he does, it's mutilation. So I guess it's sort of an extreme example, but I'm just wondering, because like little TMI on my baby, we didn't circumcise my son for that reason, because we were like, oh, we're Gentiles, Paul says not to do it, right? So yeah, I guess, how do you interpret that? I would say, I think you're misinterpreting what Paul said, and it'd be 
I think better if we quote him verbatim because he doesn't talk Please, about it yeah. being mutilation. So what, what passage are you addressing specifically? Okay, hold on. Let me find it. I went through this whole thing with my pastor on whether we should circumcise or not. And that's where I, we're going to make on. your I'll kid watch it. this replay when he's older. It's like, mom, no. <laughs> poor guy. <laughs> Right, mom, you're making me like miserable, mom. I know. Hey, Paul, on. Are you referring to when Paul in Galatians, when he was telling the Judaizers to go and castrate yourself? Yeah, that's what I figured. But um, I no, to... hold on. Google real quick says Romans two. Let me see if that Paul claims circumcision. Oh, Romans Maybe. two. A Gentile who keeps the law inherently is doing the things of the law. Will just will uh, judge those who have the law. At the bottom, Romans two twenty four, I think it is. Preach, circumcision, all this stuff. Hold on, I gotta find it. So I'll go ahead and explain. Like, okay, yeah, go ahead. It, in in Galatians, when Paul is basically like, "I wish you would cut the like, go ahead and cut the whole thing up," he's implying those who find themselves to be more righteous because they have a circumcised male anatomy. They're like, "Oh, I I'm circumcised, therefore I'm saved." Absolutely not. You can be uncircumcised and absolutely be saved. That's what Romans 2 is essentially discussing. That the nations who do not have the written code of law, who do the, quote, inherent good things of the law, and most people are, by the way, doing that, um, they will judge those who have the law, i.e. the Jews. So I think it's important to acknowledge that nothing I do is for salvation. I do because I think it's good practice. Like the brother said, um, pork is a filthy animal. Um, you can eat pork and still be saved. I do believe that. However, I think if God says something is good, then I want to do my best to imitate that, right? And it's not for salvation. Unfortunately, Paul was battling those who did think it was for salvation. And this is because they didn't understand what the law was trying to demonstrate to them. And the law is there to demonstrate and show our sin as a mirror. It's literally like a mirror. Have you ever tried to look around a mirror? You can't. Every time you try and look around, I used to do this as a kid, like, I wish I could see around the mirror. You can't because it's reflecting the negatives inside of you. And in this example, that would be the law. The law is there to stand as a witness against you to show you your need for your Savior, the Redeemer, Christ. Yes, Steph. Yeah, sorry, I'm still looking. Now I'm combing through Galatians 2, uh, and I'm sorry, this was... He's six now, or he's five now, so it's been six years, okay? But, like, I, <laughs> in order to, I probably should have been prepared before I asked you that question, so now I'm having a hard time finding it. I will continue looking, okay. and then I'll come back. Yeah, no, Ask I AI. Well, I'm also running out the door. <laughs> I'm trying to Google while I put my coat on. I have a cardiac stress test today, guys. Probably fine. Oh, good luck. Oh, yeah. Good luck, for sure. This conversation's probably gonna like skew the test results. Be like, wow, you are extra stressed. <laughs> no, it's just where they put you on a treadmill and watch what your heart does. So I guess the only way to fail it is if you die. So I get, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen. <laughs> How well, long do you have to walk in a treadmill? Uh, Till I get my heart rate to 180. <laughs> apparently. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. Um, those in and of themselves can be pretty problematic if you if you have a really bad heart but i'm guessing since your doctor is wanting you to do it he thinks your heart's good enough to do yeah test. no i'm totally fine i hate the idea someone, someone asked courtney uh, 
who were you listening to or watching when you decided to be a Torah observant Christian? I wasn't listening. If he means religious wise, I wasn't listening to anyone. Um, I felt an emptiness inside of myself. And in that emptiness, I just cried out to God. I was like, I, I've always been a believer. So born and raised believer in God was in church, etc. Like I said, I was born and raised Christian. And I just felt like some emptiness inside of me. There was just like a void. And so basically I just, I prayed and um, I felt like God led me to this path. And in this path, I started studying more, learning more of the history of the church and where we're at today. And I started studying the kind of the historicity of the gospels and yep, led me to where would I'm at. You, would and, you say that even in your emptiness and void, you were still saved? Because, you know, faith oh, in yeah. Jesus. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, never would I ever say, like as a child, I remember, you know, in school they say like, uh, if you could meet anybody in the world, dead or alive, who would it be? My answer was always Jesus. Like I've always had a fascination with the gospel and Jesus, etc. I've always, always, um, still to this day, if I could meet anyone, it would be Jesus, always. And so I fundamentally believe I was saved. However, I believe I have an enriched understanding of what he did for me now that I'm old enough to actually go through. We can look at the original languages. Of course, when I'm you know, a child, I can't do these things and I'm relying on the, the leaders, my parents and pastors, etc. But yeah, I definitely think I was saved. I believe you're so right too. I, I'll be honest with you. I actually contemplated becoming a Torah observant Christian at one point in time, because I think that too many, um, too many heresies in the church today stem from people just not understanding or taking, um, Old Testament scripture, you know, and, and really diving in to learn and understand. I mean, it is, it's the history of our faith. And I just, I don't think a lot of people put enough emphasis on it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and this is what makes quote, my apologetics different. This is what makes me uniquely, I think, qualified to have, uh, the debates that I do with Jews. Um, see the reason why Tovia Singer is making grounds head over heels compared to that of his counterparts in Christianity who are apologists and trying to defend the faith is because he is able to use the front half of the book. Right. We'd never pick up any right. book in the world and start from the middle and go to the back. Right. That's that's the end of the story. Right. That's the culmination of what happened. But you don't know the history of it unless you start at page one. And so what is very different in my apologetic approach is I bring the two together because I don't think that they're antithetical. People say, well, how were people yep. saved before Jesus? The same exact way they're saved today. <laughs> the mm -hmm. same way people in the past were saved identically the same way. Yep. And so that's where my apologetics is unique. I stand um, in the middle and I'm able to answer non-believing Jews with their own text, thus proving Christianity. Right. Now, let me make this very loud and clear. There are people within the quote, as Chris said, Hebrew roots, Torah observant Christian. And by the way, I... I feel like I coined that term. There may have been someone else out there calling themselves a Torah observant Christian because, you know, a lot of Hebrew roots say, I'm not a Christian as a, 
at the very beginning stages, I, I, I thought that too, because I thought Christianity had flaws, right? But I was very ignorant at, at the very beginning of all of this, right? Um, nonetheless, people say, I want to separate myself from the mainstream church because there are many things that I think they're like, Chris thinks Catholicism is wrong. Catholicism thinks Protestantism is wrong. And then you have the people in like Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, etc. And so everybody's pointing at everyone else, calling them a heretic. And so what I decided to do is stand firm on being a Christian. Absolutely. But if you want to ask my denomination, it'd be quote Torah observant. And then you can ask me deeper questions, and that will set me apart from the other Torah observant slash Hebrew roots type of people. Oh, I have a question. And yes, they do sometimes speak out of both sides of their mouth, where they will say, no, I'm not saved by the law, but... And so that's why I wanted to answer his question directly. Were you saved before you started keeping the Torah? Yes, I believe So, last question, and if the answer is no, we, we don't have time to get into it because I have to leave. <laughs> but um, well, one of the other charges leveled against you i guess from from chris because you guys have talked forever and every time he's like someone's a heretic he's like how don't you know that i'm like dude i talked to him like three times um are you are you like a unitarian or trinity person or binitarian no. or mm, no i believe in two powers in heaven that's the earliest that's the proto uh trinitarian position more pre-nicene than post-nicene flesh this out a little bit um how i do not agree with some of the ways in which the post-nicene verbiage comes out about the the trinity if you're looking for the trinity in the earliest belief two powers in heaven is where you're going to find it it's the identification of a second quote yahweh figure uh, that i believe is christ you after the incarnation I'm sorry, what? Does that change for you after the incarnation or do you maintain a dualistic position? Mm, what do you mean dualistic position? Like, um, so the, t the two powers in heaven after the incarnation, is it still like, where, where's the spirit, right? Because I'm assuming you hold... No, I don't reject the Father, Son, and Spirit. I reject the verbiage for which post-Nicene Trinitarians use. That's what I reject. If anything, so, I'm more in accordance with people like Tertullian and those, the earliest church fathers. So where do you, where would someone who holds two powers in heaven and says they hold to Father, Son, Holy Spirit disagree with a Trinitarian? They would disagree in the verbiage in the way that it's presented. To get on the same page, could you give us the verbiage as you understand it from post and then the verbiage as you understand it from your position? Can you just like give us the verbiage of both? Well, the verbiage that I'm discussing is the last 2,000, well, let's just say 1,800 years of apologetics in trying to explain what the Bible says about said God, right? That's well, where we... Go ahead. Well, well, I mean, for people that don't know that instinctively or people just to get on the same page so for example if someone's like nate how do you understand the trinity i'm like father son holy spirit like there's the father he's greater than all he's not the son he's not the spirit like like the athanasian creed like that would be the verbiage and i'd be like this is how i believe the trinity is that's the verbiage um mm -hmm. so then if you believe like the two powers in heaven since it's rather unique can you explain what well first of all do you agree with the verbiage i said like the athanasian creed yeah i have no problem with okay. i have uh, no problem with but, that i have problems whenever we try and use apologetics 
and the verbiages that you see coming out of, especially in the reformers, and then forcing that back in. Wait, okay, Courtney, what is the uh, phrase they would say that would bother you? My question first. (laughs) I just want you to explain, Courtney, like, what do you actually believe? Like, not not pre this or post that, but like, Courtney, like, you know, the father is this, the son, like, how do you So I'm a subordinationist. I'm a subordinationist. Doesn't help. Lay terms. You're explaining this to a kindergarten Uh, class. I don't know how to explain. How do you explain something complex like this? Subord- I believe that the, the son is subordinate to the father. By, like, domination or because, like, it's, it's like, an agreed-upon, like, like role? Like, you know, the father is greater than all or Jesus is, like, um, surely not. Yeah, like basically, Jesus first Corinthians. Crea- so yeah, Jesus first- is, like, not created. No, no. I believe that he was burst forth out of, out of the father before the earth ever was. I believe that he is divine. I believe that he pre-existed, which is what makes me different than the Unitarian, unlike what Chris is saying. Is Christ eternal? What do you define as eternal? Forever? Was he created? You said he was created. Yes, I understand. I already addressed that, guys. Uncreated. I do not. Courtney, you said that you believe he was created before the earth. No, I didn't. I said begotten. He burst forth out of the Father, which is what John 1 Verse one is talking about. I'm but not a Unitarian. That that's a Sassanian. From creation, if he burst forth, like you're because you're that right. was before the Earth ever was. But so he's not eternal. No, it depends on what you define as eternal. Are you talking about eternal generation? Like okay. infinite, infinite regress. Like as far oh, back as oh, you oh, go, there. Like so as, is as that eternal back. generation? Well, is that eternal generation? Well, the well, doctrine you, of you, eternal generation. Well, you tell me, I, I, I'm trying not to do doctrines and stuff because... But it, we can't not do that. That's the point. And this is where I would digress and say, I disagree with your words and your verbiage and on. what you mean. Hold on. You guys keep cutting me off. Well, yeah. Uh, hold on, Courtney. I know Nate has to go. Well, you asked a heavy question. Hold one. On, on. Two. I'm, I'm trying... Hey, wait. Yeah, no, no, no. Are, no. Are hold you... on. Hold on. Hold on. It's like four <laughs> against one. Let me Let me. It's no one against answer. anyone. I'm trying to do this uh, concisely. Nate, like, uh, hang on, Courtney. Like, I, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not trying to... I, I don't care. Like, you know, tell me anything you want. I don't care. Like, I've I'm already told you, you, but you don't accept my answer. You're not letting me ask the question. You're asking... You're talking about doctrines, and I'm saying... I'm trying but to I'm put being it in asked by three people. Okay. Well, pay attention to me. I'm trying to say, like, in lay terms... Infinite regression, as far, far, far back, 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 forever that you can go, there will always be the Father. I'm saying, do you believe as far, 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 far back as you can ever go, right with the Father, there will also be Jesus and the Holy Spirit, or not? There's like a little bit further you can go where there wouldn't be Jesus and the Spirit, but just the Father. If you're talking about essence, shared essence, in eternal generation, that's what I'm asking you about. Uh, Are you saying that the, see, she's cutting me off. You see what I mean? Because here, because here's the thing that's, that's frustrating everybody, right? What's I'm trying to give you my answer. It's frustrating that you won't allow me to flesh out my answer. And then you say it's frustrating to you. You're saying the same thing. You're using the word verbiage and eternal generation. And do you not know what eternal generation? If you don't know what that is, just tell me. Let me get. I know exactly what Courtney's talking about. I know exactly what Courtney's talking about. Yeah, I I figured Nick would. I'm gonna lose it. Can you guys? Okay, lose it then. Okay, Courtney. There's this idea (laughs) that if you're truly a specialist in something, you can explain it to a kindergartner. And I've been, and I I've done that. But sometimes the kindergarten, some dude. 
Uh, are you okay? Are you my, are you cool? I gave up my blood badge because I can't handle your blood Courtney, pressure is gonna I'm be high before to you do your test. You. I'm trying to help you. Okay, I think what Christian I don't need you to help me. I can explain this on my own. Thank you, Courtney. You're not doing a great job, but I'm trying. To I'm doing a wonderful that. job. You, ma'am, are not the ones that's able to dictate how well okay. I'm doing. So if you Courtney, don't, under- Courtney. Nick and I could probably have a better conversation, Steph. Sure. But respectively. Nick's not talking to you right now. And no, you keep cutting me off. It's Courtney, inappropriate for me to ask a Lord. question and then cut me off. I will give you my answer. You accept it or you don't. That's the way that it is. I am trying to get through one single sentence, okay? Yep, after you cut what me off. We're, okay, what, yes, yes. What we are asking you to do, okay, is Chris, who has a reputation for thinking everyone is a heretic, has leveled an accusation at you that smells incorrect, but yep. by, by utilizing the same words repeatedly, you are sort of starting to make it seem like his accusation is credible. Don't so care. What I try, good. What I'm trying to explain to you is that if you are truly, and I'm a specialist in a few things, okay? In what? I'd like no, to know. that's irrelevant right now. No, it's not irrelevant. You just made hold a on, profound statement. I'd like to know on. what it is so that I'm we can. I'm a specialist in a few things. In what, when please? When I am trying to. In what? Sex. Commercial real estate. No. Thank you. Oh, okay. So nothing to do with theology. When okay. I'm irrelevant. Trying to explain to somebody what a cash on cash return is with an unsubsidized capitalized rate. Okay. Nobody in this room knows what that means. I have to sit down and explain what a return on investment is and how to mm-hmm. calculate it. I understand. It. Okay, Courtney, I'm not done. Yeah. Oh, now oh, you know how it feels so to be cut the, off. Yeah, I, I know that very well. Okay. So when I, when, I, when my goal is to try to explain to somebody who I know it takes humility, I have a temptation. I can either say that they're an idiot for not knowing what a cash on cash return is, or I can explain to them, here's how you calculate a cash on cash return without using the words cash on cash return. Now, Courtney, everybody in this room is very interested in your position, and we all are asking you to explain it, and you're getting very flustered. So No, ma'am, I'm not getting flustered. I'm trying to answer, and you cut me off. If you want my answer, then ask it and be quiet. Then ask it and be quiet, Steph. Then ask it and be quiet. I'm going to wait until you're done talking. All right. Yeah, I am too. Instead of saying eternal generation repeatedly, can you please, as Nate asked you to do now five times, can you Mm -hmm. define what that is and then flesh out your answer? No, ma'am. See if you were paying attention. I very specifically said, what do you define? What do you define as eternal generation? Nobody's asking me. Ma'am, I asked the question verbatim right back to you. What do you, when he said eternal, I said, what do you define as eternal? Now, the, just so you know, we're on replay. So everybody can go back and listen to me yes, saying that. Yeah. So be quiet and listen to my responses so that you can then engage with the conversation. Because I think it would be incumbent upon you to realize that if you are explaining what you know in your profession to someone who's asked a question to you and they cut you off, you would be just as irritated. No. So I've given you the answer. The time is done. What I have learned from today as I have to go is Chris may have actually been right. Steph's blood pressure is definitely going to be in the target range. And if someone says, Nate, um, explain the Trinity. And I can't say, are you familiar with Tertullian? Tertullian, Are you familiar with the the, the Trinity? I'm just like, oh, okay. Uh, First page of the Bible. Let's start there. The Father talks to the Son and the Holy Spirit. Anyway, um, Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Nate, for showing your true colors.
and implying that someone is correct while also not answering it. Okay, Steph. All right, hang on, Steph. We're going to talk for a minute. Okay, showing my true colors. Like, there is no problem. Like, tell me you worship Satan. Be like, I love Satan. Hail Satan. Like, I'm not going to condemn or yell and scream at you. I, honest to God, don't care what someone says to me. I just am asking questions. Like, when I talk to a, like, legit Satanist, I'm like, okay, why do you worship the Dark One? Oh, do you not worship the Dark One? I'm sorry. Um, what do you mean by that? Like, I don't care how crazy of crap people tell me. I, I just want to have a conversation. So my interest is not to, like, cut people off or anything like that. My interest is, is to get them to just have a conversation. But if I, if I cut them off or whatever, it's because no one knows what the heck you're talking about. And I just want it to be understandable for myself and everyone else listening. Do you that's think half the people that listen to this have any idea what it, eternal whatever was? Um, generation yeah that's a yeah, basic yeah. Oh, and, and here's the thing right is that i wasn't trying to just real quick i wasn't trying to contest anything she said i don't even know what she's saying so i can't agree or disagree with her what i was trying to do was to explain to her like if you know a lot about something here's how you explain it to people who don't know a lot about it like i don't i don't know if i agree or disagree i just you can't like she's doing the same thing that she's upset that chris does that's i i, I know it I mean, it, it's unfortunate. Like, it was a good conversation, right? Like, I think we cleared up the Hebrew-Israelite thing. and like, well, was it for salvation? Like, if she would have thrown out, like, this would have happened, like, 10 minutes before it did, if she would have thrown out some doctrines. Like, oh, well, uh, you know, I subscribe to the doctrine of this, which means exactly right. what she explained, but she explained it, and we had a normal conversation with normal words. And I'm like, oh, okay, sounds like you're not a, you know, Hebrew roots leaning or whatever. If you don't believe it's necessary for salvation, but you feel convicted that, you know, it's just a good idea, that sounds fine. Um, and so I don't know why it went to like theological terminology when it didn't need to. I'm like, well, look, is Jesus created? Like, like there was a thing where people were calling Matt Slick a heretic for a while. And because he was saying, well, no, Jesus was a created being. And everyone's like, what? What do you mean? What do you mean? He's like, because if you're talking about the flesh and blood Jesus who came in human form, he has only existed 2,000-some years. But no, no, Jesus, you know, the person we call Jesus in the flesh and blood, that person has always existed. And everyone's like, oh, we get it. Okay, how catchy. Um, so it's like one of those things. Like, I was just looking for a simple explanation. Um, you know, she said, no, I'm not Unitarian. I don't think Jesus was created. I'm like, okay, that was easy. Um, if she would have threw out like a big terminological terminological thing for that, I would have been like, just say, was Jesus created? Yes or no? Like, I, I don't care. I'm not trying to lead you. I'm not trying to got you. I just want to know. Um, so I'm like, well, as so it sounds like <laughs> as far back as you can go, there was the father. And then maybe just like instantaneously after the father, the person of Jesus burst forth. That That's no, what that... because because the, the because the conversation got cut off. And she just like went freak out mode. Um, that's what I'm hearing. So that's my takeaway. Well, she was talking about eternal generation. She is saying the son is uncreated, but he is gen generated, eternal, eternally generated from the father. That is, some people are going to say the essence of the son is communicated to him. Some people are going to say the person of the son is communicated. I'm guessing she holds the view that the, the father communicates the divine essence to the son uh, eternally. Now we look at this in it's a logical order, not a not a uh, not a chronological order. Like we see father son, you know, the, a father can exist without his son, or there's a time when when a, a man is not a father, then he becomes a father. But the son, the father, eternally 
generates the sun. I think that's what she was going to explain. Uh, Nick, are you? Is, are, are, I really have to go, but are, are you a Calvinist by any chance? This is not a Calvinist doctrine. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm not irrelevant. I, I'm just asking. Yeah, I'm a Calvinist. Okay, so my my question, and and then if you could explain explain this quickly, I really have to go. I'm way late. Um, okay, so like how Calvinists uh, believe, um, like regeneration, they will say everything happens at the same time, but if you really press it on them, press them on that, they're like, okay, well, no, um, one thing has to happen minusculely, like a split second before the other thing has to happen. Um, that's what I'm saying. So in the same parallel. Is your eternal generation understanding that kind of like the Calvinistic thing? Like, yes, uh, God and the son existed at, at the same time, except technically the father would have existed like just a second before. No, that that I don't think the, the Trinity would relate to salvation. Obviously, there is a point. Uh, oh, uh, uh, I think I'm being misunderstood. I'm not. Ta- the only thing no, I'm no. talking about is like time. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying, yeah, it, it wouldn't relate because God exists eternity outside of time and salvation takes place in time and obviously there's a point we go from being lost to saved so obviously some of those things take place you know the order of salvation whatever regeneration obviously proceeds uh not just logically but i believe maybe some sense regeneration probably proceeds but i don't don't think you get that with the eternal generation of the sun and that is a that's that is a orthodox christian teaching like that that is the where, where we would disagree with her would be the subordination where the son where we would have to ask is the son is ontologically less than the father and i don't know what her view is on that but as far as the eternal generation that's that's standard christian belief which no one understands because no one will just say yes like okay i'm going to say it i'm going to say it what i could say may be incorrect but if no one's willing to correct me then i guess that's the understanding so um, the eternal generation, the way I am taking away from this room, uh, Jesse, I keep seeing you. I, I really have to go. I'm so late. Um, the way I'm taking away is the father technically existed in a time, no matter how small, apart from Jesus. That's my takeaway. If it's wrong, it's the fault of everyone for not correcting me. Okay, guys, I have to run. Talk to you all later.